boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lasses, and those who don't subscribe to Agenda, welcome to the Pot of the Dragon podcast. This is a review podcast of HBO's House of the Dragon. We are on episode four. This is our full review. Spencer, how are you doing today? Doing fine, man. How about you? I'm doing wonderful. I have been contemplative about this episode all week because, or last couple days, I guess, because this is the first time that you and I, on a reaction podcast for the episode, really sort of disagreed about if we like the episode, the overall quality, where it fit in with the other episodes, do you want to sort of rehash for the audience who didn't catch our reaction pod where we landed immediately after viewing the episode? Well, people that have watched this for years in the past know that I'm usually the negative Nancy, and I'm, for sure. even for episodes I like, generally liked them less than you did, and I'm much more likely to outright despise material than you ever are. 100%. Uh, this episode, on the other hand, was my utter catnip. This is what I watch Game of Thrones for. This checked all the boxes of what I enjoy about a particular episode. And for you, it didn't. Uh, for you, it was, I think, fair to say, lackluster or not particularly exciting rather than necessarily negative. You agreed with me on most of the points that I made, that it checked quality hallmarks for production, for writing, for acting, but that you found it uninspiring on the whole. Yeah, I just found it a little slower, less happening, and less entertaining just on a whole. I mean, at, at its core, you know, we get so into this sometimes that I think that some of us Uber fans forget that it's supposed to be just an hour of entertaining television. Now, I'll say this, is that what you just described is you were entertained, right? You you were. Exceptionally so. so I'm, not, yes. I'm not arguing that. What I am saying is that I think that generally for the average fan, etc., probably a little less uh, entertaining some of the other ones. But that's to be expected. There was less battles. It happened over a shorter period of time. There was single like, evening. I'm not. I, I think I asserted in the reaction pod there was no plot movement. I'm going to retract that. There was a little plot movement, but it certainly <laughs> was wasn't. As, it certainly wasn't as much as in previous episodes. I think we can agree on that. No, I'm actually going to even fight you on that. I think every single plot thread moved forward in a measurable way. But ultimately, this was but like not significantly. The like, you didn't have, like, Lord Corliss, like, leaving the small council, or a war happening and being concluded, or someone naming an heir. I mean, the, maybe maybe they've set an unrealistic plot bar so far, because in the first three episodes, they really have flown through a lot of plot. This, this was season one plot progression, of where it is little moves by lots of people in lots of ways that will eventually form a tapestry that vaguely makes sense. That's oh, what they're going to do. Uh, Spencer, would you like to, to go check out a couple of the tapestries, yeah, the yeah. new tapestries we have? You know, have you seen the tapestries that are just hanging in Allison's personal quarters, by the way? <laughs> Man, what a gif that we got from that, right? Of the two of them laughing in front of Allison. Yes. Like, I was really trying to figure out a way to, to write, to, to get that, that screenshot and write Spencer actually liked this episode and then send it out to everybody but I, I couldn't I'm technologically inept I couldn't figure well, out how to do it I'm not, I'm not kidding though have you actually seen the tapestries that are hanging in her room no they are the most pornographic shit you've ever imagined oh that makes sense yeah that they works. are That's straight that orgies that well, are hanging Essos, in the, right? the Queen's quarters it was from Essos that, that these came it, over yeah it was, it was from the some various members of the free cities apparently I don't know if whether those are the same ones I think these are actually different tapestries that are hanging in the middle of the Red Keep, but if the ones that she keeps around her are any guide, man, that's a body picture. Wow, that's hilarious. Well, that checks out with the rest of the episode. It was a pretty scandalous episode, so here we are on the Pot of the Dragon podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We typically do two episodes of this podcast per one episode of House of the Dragon. We will 
immediately after the episode of House of the Dragon, jump on to a recap podcast. And this is our full review where we go beat by beat through the entire plot. I will do that. Spencer will chime in. We will go back and forth about what we think about things. And then we'll get to our segments. We will award best line of the episode. I and I alone and emperor best line of the episode. We will run through a segment that I lead where I'd really talk about, okay, how does this series fit in with the Game of Thrones sort of zeitgeist, like the big epic thing, the Game of Thrones machine that's out there in a segment I call, is Game of Thrones back? And then Spencer will talk about some (laughs) book to show changes, and that's our spoiler section. And I gotta tell you, Spencer, when we get to the spoiler section... You got things? You got things to say? The foreshadowing is strong with this one, friend. There was uh, so yeah. much foreshadowing. Yeah. And, and the I, cool I, part about the foreshadowing is it's so subtle that I know people who haven't been spoiled are listening to this like, oh, God, please don't mess anything. I promise I'm not messing anything up. There is just no way. It's so subtle. There's absolutely no way that you could infer that it's foreshadowing unless you knew the plot. Like, if you are unsullied, you're staying unsullied. It's fine. It's not going to spoil anything. But for those who are in the know, it's just kind of cool little moments. Yeah, they're more almost Easter eggs than foreshadowing because you have no chance of actually interpreting those unless you've already read the books and know to look for the signs. Shout out Ryan Condal. Anyway, that is our housekeeping. Thanks everybody for listening. I think it's time for us to jump into our recap. Spencer, anything else we should cover before we go through the recap? Let's get going, man. Woo! Let's do it. All right. So the previously on focuses on Damon Targaryen, and then his it then moves on to Alicent versus Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra potentially wanting to marry, not wanting to marry, people wanting to marry her. Sir Kristen Cole is in this bad boy a lot. Lord Strong mentioning that Rhaenyra should wed Laenor. We have discussion of Aegon um, the Babe, Viserys saying he won't be, he won't supplant Rhaenyra and that she can pick her match. And then we end up, the recap ends on the Stepstone. So I think what they wanted you to do with the recap was, hey, remember Damon? Also, he's not just a warrior. He really likes his niece. <laughs> Just a bit. They wanted us to remember who Sir Kirsten Cole was, and then they wanted mm-hmm. us to remember who Leonor the Valerian was. I think that was really important in the recap. Opening Good character credits. reminders. Spencer, do you still hate the opening credits? Still do. Still, st- still, I cannot view them except in comparison to the game of, original Game of Thrones credits, and they just so utterly pale. Okay. Episode starts with Rhaenyra clutching her gift from Daemon. The necklace, the Valerian necklace that he gave her. It starts with her grabbing it, holding it. Looks like she sort of does that through the day, sort of mindlessly. It looks like that's kind of a mindless action from her that we get her regularly. Little totem. And she's nodding off, pretty bored. She's being talked to by... Do you know who... Um, this is Lord Dondarrion who's talking to her. This is the, the Dondarrion. Uh, you, that's the house that in the main series we have the guy who died seven times... Beric Dondarrion, this is his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-whatever-grandfather, who is pretty old at the time of this marriage proposal. And apparently, according to the subtitles, he is actually another Beric Dondarrion. Houses just love to use the same names across generations. Yeah, thank you, George R. R. Martin. Now, here's my question for you, something I didn't pick up and hand up. I should have done a little bit more research. Who is the Baratheon sitting next to her? I'll look up his name, but this is actually occurring in Storm's End, best as I can tell. I think this is the first time we've ever actually been inside that castle. It is. This is is the same Baratheon that we saw previously during the tournament that went up to ask for 
Rhaenys's favor as the queen that never was. He said the queen that never it, was. As, as her uncle, I believe, actually. Got a lot of whispers. Yeah, so uh, Storm's in the house seat of House Baratheon of Stannis the Manus and King Bobby B. Fame from the original series. Uh, this looks like it might have been Boris Baratheon. All right, Boris Baratheon. And it would make sense that Boris would be sitting next to her, right? Because it looks like what's going on is Rhaenyra is on, quote, tour. She's going to, presumably, some of the different strongholds in the Seven Kingdoms. Oh, sorry. Borman. Borman Baratheon. Borman Baratheon. Oh, that name does ring a bell now, Borman Baratheon. Yeah, it does, yeah. Um, and when she gets there, she has marriage proposals from that kingdom. And it, it would make sense that the liege lord of that kingdom would sit with her during the presentations. And so that's what he's doing. And also, I think he recognizes that she is not super experienced in... He's guiding her. ...in this. And so he's trying to help her here and there. I, I actually think he oversteps at one point, but, you know, that's the Baratheon way. Well, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting situation of when you're relying on a Baratheon sitting next to you to be the diplomatic one, but that's how Rhaenyra do. Well, we had Rinley for about 12 seconds. Lord Dondarrion <laughs> mentions that Queen Allison visited him years ago, and Rhaenyra finally, sick of this guy, cuts in, asks him if her great-grandmother was as beautiful as they say she was. Lord Dondarrion scoffs and says, well, that was half a century ago, princess, and she says, yes, it was. Oh, entire entire room starts laughing. I fucking love Rhaenyra. She is the best. Uh, The Baratheon, this is where I think the Baratheon sort of oversteps. Go ahead. It's funny, but I'm actually with the Baratheon here of where Rhaenyra needs to learn how to be diplomatic. Even learns how to fake it. Because what Rhaenyra runs on is dunking on those around her or not paying them any degree of respect and then expecting them later to be okay with her. And... One might think that could be an issue going forward. See, here's my take on this. is I, I, I see what you're saying. But I think that because she's a woman and she's in this society, it's I would advise her to come out really hot. She's got to... She is going to be behind the eight ball in these rooms every time she steps in, if they don't already know her. And she has got to set a tone to establish that she's not to be fucked with. Now, is this the best way? I don't know. You could argue if this is the best way to do it or not. We're arguing the two poles right Right, now. but I, I do think that it's important for her to be sharp-tongued, quick-witted, and, and kind of hostile with these men to establish a tone, because otherwise they're going to walk all over her the her entire life. Like, that's just it, how it, this society runs. It, it's a way of earning possibly respect. It's not necessarily a basis to earn loyalty when you don't have any to start. So she she needs to be able to wield both swords, and presently all she's got is her barb. No, it's got. There has to be. She once she establishes a rapport, she's got to be glad. She's got a glad hand. She's got to like get people on her side, right? But I do think that this what she's doing here, I would have said smart move because she's she's setting a tone for that room. Um, but the Brathian tells her it was unseemly, and she says, that man is older than my father. It is unseemly for him to put himself forward for my hand, which might be true. But the Dondarrion house sure. is a long, proud house with a lot of men-at-arms and very strong men-at-arms. If anything, if the, uh, you know, being from the, the crown lands is any indication. So it probably isn't smart to piss him off long term. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that it was, we see very pointedly with the next people walking up. These Ooh. aren't just people from the Stormlands. Apparently people from all around the neighboring regions to the Stormlands have journeyed to Storm's End. So it's like they've kind of like arranged a few central meeting places for the, you know, her meet and greets to well, take place. Like for her Stormlands, the, like the Crownlands, I think, are in. The, like, like 
yeah, what, Riverlands are definitely River a, a long way there. to come here. Yeah, so it's basically kind of the central part, kind of extending yeah. to the central part of Westeros, is who is here on this tour. So that tells me that she probably doesn't have seven stops on this tour. She's probably My got God. like th- probably got like three, right? You, you um, think they'd make her actually go to the north for this tour? God, so no. let me point something out. I know we're getting slow in the recap, but I want to point this out. She, she ends this, and she has two months to go in the tour. That tells me she probably only went to the Stormlands and then quit. She really, really missed out not going to Dorne. My girl Renera <laughs> would love Dorne. Well, hey, hey, Dorne's not part of the Seven Kingdoms yet. I doubt they're a stopping place. I don't know. I mean, who knows? I mean, he may have been, he may, like, there may be a marriage proposal from Dorne that she wants sure. to consider to bring them into the fold. We don't know Go. the machinations that are going on. She really needs to work out that that tour goes to Dorne, considering what we now know of my queen. She likes to have a yeah. good time. If her dad was going full dairy on the good and trying to make a marriage alliance with Dorne, Rhaenyra missed an opportunity right there to be truly excited about a prospect. That would have been like a high school athlete who gets to go on the weekend visit of the university to see if they get up for the offer, and they just do the the blowout for the weekend. That's what Rhaenyra would have done in Dorne. Uh, So the next person that comes up is a young boy. He's probably, what, 10, maybe 11? Uh, Rhaenyra looks startled and says, now a child? It's a Blackwood, Spencer. It's a Blackwood, and I'm so happy to see it. Specifically, Samwell Blackwood, if we're playing our history game. And the Lord uh, tries to tell Rhaenyra that the Blackwoods are important. They have a large army. Blood of the First Men still flows through their veins, etc., etc. The young Blackwood begins. Gotta give this little kid some credit. Power He he shines at everything he does. He's got something he needs to say that he's been prepped to say, and he says it. He says they haven't had bond for a long time. Ever since they aided the first dragon on his conquest, in comes a young Bracken boy from House Bracken mm-hmm. to say, ah, your ancestors really turned the tide on that one. <laughs> He's getting heckled from the popcorn gallery. I will point this out. As little Blackwood is speaking, Rhaenyra looks a little engaged with him. She leans mm-hmm. forward. She smiles. She seems charmed by the little boy. I mean, she's miles away from telling him yes to the marriage proposal, but she does seem charmed by him. She seems to at least respect that he's having the guts to come up here and deliver a fairly effective little speech as to, you know, his particular marriage proposal. Now, he says something that I'm sure he was coached to say, but mm-hmm. I think it beca- it's a problem because this is a dynamic they don't, the, the men of this, the, of Westeros do not understand. It is, they have to put themselves forward for a marriage alliance for a woman, but the mm-hmm. woman is more powerful than them. And so they're all screwed up at how they're supposed to ask. Because the the script is you say, I offer you security. When you're with me, you'll be safe. I will take It's the usual you. good high notes. That's the script, but it doesn't make a lot of sense with her. And that's what the young Bracken boy calls out. He, he finally calls out protection. The princess has a dragon, you dumb C-word. Everyone laughs. <laughs> Even Rhaenyra laughs at that. I gotta say, here's the thing, Spencer. When you like a spicy character, like I like spicy characters... Sometimes they're mean. Sometimes they're just mean, and I don't know what to tell you. Rhaenyra is mean. Let's accept that. Rhaenyra is an interesting character. She's a liking character. She's a compelling character. She is also mean, and it's kind of one of her hats that she wears. Yeah, yeah, she can be mean. I mean, look, I like I like Rhaenyra, and I like Damon. I'm I'm going to get some scenes where I go, ooh, I'm still (laughs) with you. You probably shouldn't have done that. Hey, if you like those two characters, I've got a pairing for you to talk about this episode. Yeah, I guess so. We'll get to that. My extended thoughts on that. She then says, 
next, uh, next. Like, let us get the next guy up here so I can which, get supper. Which is, again, rude. Not even a polite, you know, thank you or whatever else. Just casually brushes him away, despite the fact he went up there and had the guts to do this. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have an argument for yeah. it. That's right. Uh, so, then, uh, as the Blackwood walks away, the Bracken calls it Craven. That was enough. Our young Blackwood boy, Samuel Blackwood, will... The, the, this aggression will not stand. He pulls out his sword and they go at it. As they start to go at it, uh, she says, we're leaving. She gets up. She leaves the Sir Kristen Cole and the Baratheon Lord tries to get them to stop. He does not get them to stop. They actually go at it. Guess who wins this fight? Blackwoods! Every, as they always should. Every time. Spencer, do you have any background for us on the history of the tense relations between the Blackwood and uh, Brackens? These are two neighboring houses in the Riverlands that are basically the Song of Ice and Fire equivalent of the Hatfields and McCoys. They have been going at each other for longer than the Andal invasions. We're talking about going back like to the mythic age of hating each other. It's been thousands of years, and they are still pissed and are finding new ways every day to hate each other even more. In the mainline Game of Thrones series, both of those lords were sworn to Rob, who was king of both the North and eh, sort of the Riverlands. Um, he was king of the Riverlands. Yes, he was. They were. It was. It was an interesting kind of title, but they were usually they were respecting his senior lordship. I don't know if he actually was like declared the king of the Riverlands. I have to check. Absolutely, he was. Hundred percent. Okay. Well, they, they both were sworn to him, but after Rob was killed, the Brackens almost immediately went over to the Lannister side and then started besieging the castle of the Blackwoods, which just again demonstrates the level of the enmity between the two. Now, I'm going to say the single best book to show change in this episode was what was the end result of this duel. Because in the book, the Bracken wins. In the book, it's a duel, it's a, it's a formal, it's a formal duel, not just like a pulling of swords, a, between a young, Bracken, a young Bracken and Samuel Bla, uh, Blackwood, and the Bracken prevails. So, and which book that is this never that you, you pulling this from? Win. Hmm? Which book are you pulling this from? I believe... I believe I can't remember if it's the Encyclopedia or Fire and Blood, but I checked it on the Encyclopedia, and it, it, that, that is indeed what happened. Interesting. I didn't. I don't. I didn't catch that in Fire and Blood, but I, I, not to say it's not there. It's a dense book. I didn't. Okay. I didn't memorize everything, but I, I didn't catch it. Um, so she tells Sir Kristen Cole she's ready to leave. It's time for the tour to end. He says, "Well, it's not really time to." She says, "I will gladly row myself back to King's Landing to put an end to this ridiculous pageant." This ridiculous pageant. She hears a sound, turns around, the young Blackwood boy has slain the young, but older Bracken boy, Sir Kristen Cole tells her not to look, as the young boy lays dying. Yeah, that, that was a, it was a happy surprise. I did appreciate that the young Blackwood looked almost like he was going to throw up after it happened. He did. He's, straight he's up about to throw up, yeah. Bracken. He does, he, I mean, he, like, what do they say in the book? Like, uh, uh neck to groin or whatever? I mean, he, he slid him right open. Oh, absolutely. And I double check. The footnotes are for The Princess and the Queen, the, the, the novella, Fire and Blood, and A World of Ice and Fire. So it is referenced apparently in all three, but that duel happened. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, we cut to a ship, and Renera and Cole are on the deck of the ship. He tells her they will make landfall within the hour. She asks him how he thinks the king will, quote, take it. He says, well, what do you mean? Do you mean the fact you rejected every suitor, or the fact you ended the tour with two months to go? Basically, I don't know. You got a long, lot of shit that you probably pissed the king off you that you've done here, princess. I, I don't really know how to advise you. They hear something, and it's Spencer's favorite noise in all of House of the Dragon. 
the yip 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 the RTC2 chirping yes noises of Caraxes. I love how consistent they are with this. That as Caraxes flies, he makes these sounds, uh, and it's it, you know Ryan Condal has come out and said that the Caraxes that they are showing on the show has a deviated septum, and that's why you get very distinct noises from that dragon. If you look at the no the face and the and the nose of that dragon, you can tell that that's what they're going for. Um, so he just makes different sounds, and I think that's really cool. Interesting. I was just interpreting it. They've almost seemed like they've described different subspecies of dragon that are represented among the Targaryen dragons. I just figured that that one was just more birdish than the other ones because it's making little chirping noises like an Amazonian lovebird or something. Yeah, you just got a different nose. It just makes different sounds. It's really it's really great that they've given them distinctive features. We cut to a ship. Agreed. Um, and we cut to the ship and Caraxes lightly, I would say. Lightly for a <laughs> dragon. There is no lightly when it comes to a dragon. As lightly as a dragon can flying at that speed taps the ship. I'm sure that Damon meant to do this. I'm a thousand percent sure that Damon meant to do this. And flies into King's Landing. Rhaenyra slips. Cole asks for a maester, but she says she's fine. She doesn't need a maester for a bump. Give me a break, Sir Kristen Cole. Come on. She she smacks her head pretty hard on that rail right there. What is a maester going to do? Look at it and say, sit down? I mean, give me a break. It's not like they're going to... It's not like they're going to do an X-ray here. I mean, we, we know, we've known about aspirin for you know hundreds and thousands, hundreds and thousands of years now. She, you know, she's good. She wants to sit and pine for her uncle, which is exactly what she does. She looks at the dragon and she seems to smile as we get a cutaway. Cut to the king. He's readying his court. People are fi- quickly. People are filing in. It's happening very, very fast. He stands at the front with his crown, with his sword. What sword is that, Spencer? That would be Blackfire. Woo! The ancestral Blackfire. sword of Aegon the Conqueror. Woo! He loves to loves to have that black fire sword in front of him. It, it is one of the markers of the office. Eh, well, debatably. Well, if we get to the black fire rebellions, we'll debate that point later. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to call it that because of later events. We hear from Renera's <laughs> perspective that people are whispering about Damon, and is that Damon Targaryen's music? And it's you know the great thing about this is that I always do the is that so and so's music. That's a wrestling reference. But this yes. he, this looks like he's literally coming to a wrestling ring. He's coming from the back. The fans are spread out. There's an aisle for him to walk down. Oh yeah. He's this <laughs> is his wrestling appearance. <laughs> it's like the glass shattered at Donna na 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 like here he comes. Um it, it's awesome. You know, a kudo I'll mention early for this episode cuz there's too many scenes to even reference for it. The music integration into the scenes in this episode was stellar. I mean, the music in Game of Thrones is always great. There's some great pieces, whatever else. This is, an, this is an episode of where the music was perfectly playing into certain scenes to set the tone, to represent the characters, and that just runs throughout the entire episode. I agree. The music was absolutely stellar this episode. You know, I think that probably what Raymond Waldy decided is that the episode itself was a little weaker, needed better music. I'm glad you agree with that point, Spitzer. Uh, so Damon walks in. What? And he's wearing some sort of crown. <laughs> Question for you. Is he made, wearing a crown made out of bone or wood? It, I wasn't sure whether it was bone or driftwood. And either one could be justifiable given, you know, what he has taken and how he took it. Damon has a sword as he's walking up. Lord Commander Harold Westerling does not like that. Stops him at sword point. Damon drops the sword. And in one of the most baller lines that we've gotten this entire fucking series, potential line of the episode, Spencer, add it to the chair. Beautiful. Beautiful. Absolutely loved it. I mean, oh it was a my perfect, god. And it was in a perfect initial statement, too, to tell them in some ways, I have conquered this in the name of our family. Yeah, it, it kind of set a tone for why he's there. 
Rhaenyra clearly likes this. Viserys points out that Damon has a crown on. Says, "Do you not call yourself king?" Damon says, "Well, once we smashed the triarchy, they named me. They named me. Well, there's only one they. It's House Valerian. Like I love this. Damon is setting himself up to be like, look at how great I am. I've come here. I've given you my crown. I'm doing so great. But in reality, what he's doing is saying, "Hey, King, House Valerian, they ain't with you." Like they, yep. they they literally named me king in your stead. Like they are not on board right now. It, yeah, in the books at least, the sea snake himself placed the crown on Damon's head. Yes, this is a deal, and we get the sea snake reference several times in the episode. That the sea snake is almost creating his own independent fiefdom and independent rules separate from the Seven Kingdoms right now. Very consistent this. with the book, sea snake. Sea snake, one of my all-time favorite guys of any. Forget gender character of anything in the world of ice and fire absolutely adore the sea snake and it's it's on point that he's pissed off at the king and he names damon king of the narrow sea and he could hold a grudge like no one's business but i know there is only one true king your grace and he says your grace indicating who the true king is damon then gets down bends a knee offers the crown and the stepstones to viserys viserys ask where lord corliss is he sailed home to driftmark viserys asks, who holds the stepstones great line here the tides the crabs and the 2,000 dead Triarchy Corsairs stick to the sand to warn those who might follow. Do you think they really killed 2,000 people? Uh, at, at a certain point, do you stop counting after you start putting people on spikes? I mean, once you're up to about 1,500, just start rounding from there, really. It's just the a lot of, lot of round numbers 2, in Fire and Blood. A lot of round numbers. Well, you, you better believe that the, you know, the, the various messengers that were sent back to the members of the Triarchy reported 2,000. And I don't think anyone's going to go there and count and check. Viserys walks up to Damon, takes the crown, looks at it, hands it to his king's guard to take. Rise. Viserys puts a hand on him, and Damon hugs him. Celebratory music plays. Viserys says, "The crown, or the realm, owes you a great debt, brother." And they all walk. They walk off. It, it, this is a this is a delightful little scene. I mean, not only for the pageantry of it, but I loved again. We're going to say this a lot. I love the act, the acting on the part of uh, Viserys' actor that you can see the moment he sees his brother, he wants to start smiling at him, but he's the king and he can't because he has to be really formal right now until he knows what the hell Damon's about to do. Yep. But in both this and later scenes, this is his buddy. This is his brother he grew up with. He wants to be buddy buddy with him, but the you know the rules and requirements of office need to need for him to be stern at least in this moment. Yeah, and you can tell from the next scene we're about to get that. He wants very, very badly to be friendly with Damon. Damon makes mm-hmm. it very, very difficult to do so. Um, as social as Viserys is, as much as everyone loves to party with him, as much as he throws great pageantries, incredibly generous, and everything else, particularly in this show, much more than the books, he still comes across as being very lonely. It's almost like that Damon was one of his peop- one of his friends he could truly cut loose with, be comfortable around, and he's really suffering a loss now that that's really faded. Well, not faded quite yet, because we have one scene where it, it gets revived yeah. gets revived yeah. on life support for just a second. Cut to them outside. Renera is by herself enjoying some cake. I'd like to point that out. As all good people should, enjoy your cake. Eh. I think that this is a character trait of Renera that we're going to see. Uh, I think they're introducing it, and I I'm, I'm feel comfortable calling it out, that she likes, when she she gets her druthers, she wants people to get the fuck away from her. She wants a plate of sweets, and she wants some alone time. Like that's we, what Renera likes. We, we hear from her later that her ultimate goal in life is solitude. 
She is a person that delights in her own company and doesn't need or necessarily want others to be around, except when she wants them to be. There are moments in the book where, and I can say this without spoiling anything, where Renera is with another character. The character's like, I'm going to go do X. And she's like, like, you have fun. She's like, cool. I'm going to stay here and eat some cake. Like, literally, that's what she says. Like, so that's what she likes. Um, shout out to her. Rhaenyra walks over and Viserys is hamming it up with David. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Backslapping. I'll tell you this. Nope, I won't hear it again. But you were mother's favorite. You really, nope, you were. Nope, you were. Oh, gosh. This reminds me of, like, whenever we, whenever like all the Mangum guys, all of our old buddies from college get together again, having not seen each other for, like, a year and a half, whatever else, it immediately defaults back to this. It's the old, fr- it's the old friend that immediately is comfortable around each other when you're in the same room together kind of mindset. But it's only one-sided. Because Viserys Damon... is comfortable, Damon looks uncomfortable this entire time until Renero walks up. And then he looks very comfortable. Yeah. Talking about their mother, who who was the favorite, Viserys is also self-effacing, calling himself no great warrior. I tell you, if I was out of a high tower, I would subtly suggest to the king, maybe just don't constantly. Maybe, maybe like your your down. yeah your basis for humor shouldn't always be to put yourself down. Like that's not a good look for anybody, much less a leader. It, it, it is a basis by which people probably like him, though, because he comes across as unintimidating and comfortable, and but it's not also challenging. That's also why they don't respect him, etc. I mean, it's a, it's also That's problematic. Renera congratulates Damon on his victory. Everything gets quiet and icy. The king looks down and looks irritated, won't look at Renera. Damon seems to get a real kick out of this dynamic. He loves that it's awkward between the two of them. And he just says, thank you, princess. Allison, really trying here. Let me, let me establish something on this podcast. I do not like the Hightowers. I am not a Hightower fan. Fuck the Hightowers. I will say mm-hmm. this. Allison, not treated particularly fairly in this moment. Because she says, she's just trying to move the conversation along. She's yes. trying to do her job. And she says, well, hey, maybe Damon would like to go see a tour of the gallery. We got these new tapestries gifted to us by Norvos and Kohar. These are cities in Essos. And mm-hmm. Viserys listen and mocks her. Openly, he mocks publicly her. to the to, to encourage Damon to join him in laughing at her for even suggesting this, and and through his laughs, his guffaws, he gets out. He has no interest in such things. It's so bad. True. It's so bad that Renera feels the need to step in and help Allison here and says, "You know what? I'd like to see him." Mm-hmm. And then the king says, "Well, you shouldn't deprive yourself. Get the fuck out of here." And Renera says, "Fine, I will. Say I won't. I like being alone." So she walks off. She sits down. Then we have an absolutely fantastically acted scene between two actresses here. This is un, this is world class acting, in my opinion, between these. This two. is wonderful acting. It is so emotional and real and effective between the two in terms of their little gestures, their little the, the dialogue and the word choice between them. This is and there is a lot of great scenes with characters acting in this episode. This one ranks very high. Very good acting here, absolutely. It's not their fault that they're just getting a lot of lines saying the same thing over and over again and not moving the plot. Not their fault, Spencer. They're acting We're going to go well. through a list at the end, and I'm going to make you recognize how every single plot thread moved forward. I didn't we'll say get there. I didn't say it didn't move. It just, you know, when you, you say, like, Spencer, you didn't move today. And you're like, not true. I got out of my chair and took two steps. It's like, well, yeah, you no, moved. No, sure. No, no, no. This is like I got a hundred people to move a step and you're complaining one person didn't go 50 steps. We went collectively farther. Yeah. Renera says she endured it for, uh, well, anyway, uh, they sit down and they start talking about the tour. And Renera says she endured it for as long as she could. 
Allison jokes about the fact that Rhaenyra has every man in the Seven Kingdoms fawning over her. She then gets serious and says, look, it's rare for girls in the realm to even have a choice between two suitors, which is a very fair point for Rhaenyra. It is. For the fact that she has agency in this, she's picking who she wants to marry, is pretty exceptional for the time. It, it reminds me in some ways of what Kristen Cole pointed out to her in the last episode, of where, you know, she, she, her complaining that, ah, oh, I, I'm, I'm in the worst position of all the people in all of Westeros, and he's saying, you know, a lot of people would give a lot to be in your position, princess, and recognize the power that you're just so calmly dismissing. Rhaenyra's got a bit of the ivory tower look upon the world. Well, I think I think Rhaenyra has a very human, like, tendency that is problematic, and it's that, and I me. and I love Rhaenyra. She's my queen. She will always be my queen. But but I think that she focuses on the things that are not the things she does not have the things not said as opposed to the things said the things that she is the things that she has like any any focus on the void as opposed to all the things you have is always going to result in negativity and she seems to get caught in that spiral all the time because Mm -hmm. she mentions she says hey look they aren't here for me they only want my name and my Valyrian offspring. And Allison sits closer and goes, well, I think that's pretty romantic. I think she's joking about romantic, but I think she's trying to say, well, that ain't so bad either. Like, yeah. you know, like a Damon points it out later too. Like that, what you're saying still isn't that bad. Renera says, quote, how romantic it must be to be imprisoned in a castle and made to squeeze out <laughs> Now you're, now Spencer, you're a big Allison Hightower fan. How did you take that line? Uh, an unintended, very direct slap right across the face. Because we even get a scene later of her looking out through the windows like prison bars holding a baby that she's rocking. This is the life she's living that Rhaenyra just dunked on. To the point that Rhaenyra, of all people, has the good grace to appear regretful about saying that. She actually says, I'm sorry. It's the only time I've yeah. ever heard her say it. I, I, the only time we ever will. I never, I don't know any time she's ever said she's sorry, but she actually stops and says, I'm sorry. That, that was that direct. Not, not the best look. I don't think she meant it though, so like, I'm gonna give her a pass. She, she and, she completely, for, it's one of those things where she completely forgot who she was speaking to yes. and how directly of an attack upon them it would be. And a lot of people, and I do this myself because a lot of people who get very, who are very like self-interested and get like, like, I'm the center of the world type will do that. Like, people who, like, are only thinking about themselves a lot will have a tendency to just be talking about themselves so much that they completely forget who they're talking to. I've done this a million times. So I don't think she meant to do it, but, you know, it still is a bad look. Although, shout out to my queen for saying I'm sorry. She did, and she also then basically extends an olive branch to just ask Allison about the king's view of her. A, a very kind of personal conversation of, is my dad angry at me? And Allison says he's frustrated. I mean, honestly. But we're all glad you're home. I'm particularly glad you're home. I find I have few friends lately. I like to believe I'm still the Lady Allison. But now anyone, all anyone sees when they look at me is the queen. Again, if you want to talk about humanizing of characters, good God, is this show made me actually care about Allison Hightower. I told you, I you're a big think... Allison Hightower fan. I told you this at the start of the podcast. At this moment, at this time, I feel very bad for it. This is an episode that really paints the idea of that by the standards of the time and what she was raised to think would be success, she is winning. And it sucks. Meanwhile, Rhaenyra is living a life of freedom in a way that Allison, oh, I think is straight up actually envious of at certain moments of this episode and is potentially 
uh, flirting with the consequences of how society will dunk on her for doing that. But who's really ultimately winning in that when those are the two options they're left with? Yeah, something that's pretty hilarious to me is that I think that I have, in this podcast, started with I hate the Hot Towers, I hate Alice in Hot Tower, and I feel like people who haven't read the books don't know where the story is going. Keep waiting for, like, why? And and they're just getting more on the other side, and it's just making no sense to them. I mean, you, you got Otto, though. You got Otto Hightower, who still somehow comes across as being vaguely sympathetic in this episode, too. So you can't win here, man. Sorry. Renera wraps the scene up by telling Allison that she has missed her, too. So little, And they hold hands. Yeah, a little bit of a, a little bit of a repair of the relationship. Cut to Damon in the godswood. He's standing next to one of the, the trees, the old trees. Renera comes up to him speaking Valerian. She tells him he seems very content. He seemed very content on Dragonstone. She questions why he returned other than to talk her father. I enjoy the implication, by the way, that Magor the Cruel, who built the Red Keep, consciously decided to build it around a weirwood tree, because it's not like he planted the damn thing. No, yeah, he had to, yeah, I think that would... It's a fun little touch to ponder that out. Certainly part of the, yeah, part of it. And it's interesting that they kind of use it as a, a meeting place or a place for reflection or whatever, because like, they don't think that this tree means anything. They they don't, they don't, they're not with the no old gods. This tree is not, you know, sacred to them at all. We're we're in a scenario where Lord Baratheon, you know, emphasized the fact that, oh, he's one of the Blackwoods. They're 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 among the first men and still actually one of the few houses of the Riverlands that's still following the old gods. And Rhaenyra basically goes, swipe left. Yeah, not, not, not interested. She, um, he looks at her after she she says this. He looks at her and then walks up and touches the necklace on her chest. Great acting here by Millie Alcock because she seems to know that the move to just reach out and grab her chest and touch the the uh, necklace is, is a little eye. is a little unpopular or, or improper because so she looks around to see if anybody saw saw if they that he had done that. Absolutely. She then slips into the common tongue, ask him what he wants. He says only the comforts of home. She oh. questions that. But then says, well, you do seem changed by your adventures. More mature, perhaps. Here we go, Spencer. Woo! Woo! He says, well, you're more mature, too. You've matured a lot over these last four years. Did you expect with that lot? I mean, we know the books. We, well, we have, actually, we don't. We know various stories that the books have offered about what the two, where their relationship was at this point. Did you expect with that line that they were going to go the route they ultimately did this episode? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, okay, we're we're, we're going to go into this now rather than later. Yeah, pretty much tipped the hand that they were gonna they were gonna go ahead and and kind of bust that, kind of shatter that glass, you know, kind of mm-hmm. make make it like, look, this is going to have to just be a norm. I know it's weird and the Targaryens, uncle, niece, or whatever, but y'all just going to have to get used to seeing it. So we're going to push it on you this episode. She likes that that he's you know said that she's matured, of course. He tells her saying such. Yeah, he tells her. He tells her that she'll get used to the attention. So, like, he, I think that that was an interesting line because I feel like he was acknowledging that he was saying that she's physically attractive. Because yes. then he goes, "You'll get, you'll get used to that type of attention." Basically, exactly what I just did. You're going to get used to that. And she says, "Look, mm-hmm. I can handle the attention. What I don't like is all the rest." She thinks her father is trying to sell her off to whoever has the biggest castle. Why does she keep using the word "sell," Spencer? It's like she has this in her head. She's she's trying. I think she's just created this character of her father, of somebody who's trying to like sell her off for a big castle or whatever. But, it doesn't match with reality of what he's doing. 
It, it, it doesn't, and he's increasingly given her much more control over this process. But as she speaks with Damon in this conversation, she seems to straight up say that she would prefer if she never asked to get married. Yes. And so that's a choice that her father hasn't given her. Her father has said, you get to pick who you marry, but it's never been an option that you're getting married. But he's so, not selling her off. That's a bad... He's not. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. He's not. She's speaking from resentment here about the whole process, and also just years of built-in resentment about how she felt about it before her and her father had an honest talk. And I, So it's not, it's not accurate, but it's grounded in a certain understandable feel. I think it's also resentment for the role of women in that society. She's lumping all of that into well, yeah. that as well, uh, because well, she's just she's just like sort of expecting that that is his intent. I mean, as, and, and as we get as well during this high Valyrian conversation she has with Damon, she's still looking at this from the perspective of her mom, also her grandmother too. I looked that up as well, who died in childbirth, which for a lot of women is a very serious concern in this medieval setting as a component of getting married. They then slip into Valerian. He says, uh, "Well, no, Damon before that tells her that there are worse things, worse things, worse things to be sold for than a castle, and he would know." I would say. Uh, they then slip into Valeria and he says marriage is a political arrangement after your marriage you can do as you like she says well marriage might be a political arrangement for men, men. but for women it's a death sentence mm-hmm. her mom her grandmother it is the story for so many women about what the process what their expectation is your job is to make babies and the fact that a significant percentage of you will die is a price I'm willing to pay Damon says would that it were I would have been rid of my bronze bitch ages ago ah! Damon does I I have to I really hope we get screen time with his wife because I I just need to know why he hates her so much like there's no way they can represent this person on screen where it makes any sense why he hates her so much he just loathes her it's nothing to do with her it's nothing to do with her it probably is the exact scenario that uh, Rhaenyra is resenting right here that he was married off and Damon do not tolerate that shit he then hands her the cup of wine he is drinking from and she drinks from it. Anybody oh. anybody who has ever been at a party where alcohol is served, the girl who starts drinking the cup of the guy who like that's a cup they're coupling later. Like that's a that's an immediate <laughs> sign when the guy's that, drinking and then the girl grabs the drink from him and starts drinking it and hands it back and they're drinking from the same cup, that is a sign for everybody they're hooking up later. Communally understood contract right there. She tells him his wife is lucky. He hasn't gotten her pregnant yet. Damon, I doubt a child could grow in such hostile environments. <laughs> Good God, man. She's a person. Leave her alone. <laughs> that one got a laugh from me. Got a laugh from Rhaenyra, too. Uh, she says that her mother was made to produce heirs and it killed her. She will not suffer the same. Damon says, well, look, what happened to your mother was a tragedy, but it's a tragic world. Potential line of the episode. You cannot live your life in fear or you will forsake the best parts of it. If you want a philo- if you want a line that summarizes the Damon philosophy for how to live each day, right there, people. She says she has no desire to live in fear, only solitude. There it is, Spencer. That's the point you were pointing out earlier that she's kind of indicating here she doesn't want to marry, and if she had her way, she'd just sort of live live alone, kind of do what she wants to do, be be single. Yeah, which Damon almost just finds amusing. I mean, it, it, he I don't know if he outright dismisses it or just does not want that to be her the life that she leads, but he laughs at it here when she says it. I think part of him is thinking like, well, you don't know what you're missing out on. Like you don't, you know, yeah. you don't know, you know, what sex is. You don't know, you know, that part of it, you which just, Damon you don't know cle- anything, which Damon clearly highly values. So he's probably thinking like, you don't, you don't even know what you're talking about here. Mm-hmm. 
He slips back into the common tongue and says, Such a lonely prospect. Cut to the king at his small council. Note, Spencer, that Rhaenyra is there, and she seems to be participating as a member, not a cupbearer. And I think has a marble. I'm waiting for HBO to release, you know, the particular monogrammed marbles for each of the council members for people to get to get and buy. I think they already have. I think you can buy them. Oh, of course they have. I think, I, I think so. I'll buy Rhaenyra's for you. Oh, thanks. Uh, the king is getting updates, and they are telling him that he has problems with the sea snake. Spencer, what are the problems he's got with the sea snake? Sneestex basically decided, hey, the crab the crab feeder was doing this. That's a great idea. I'll start doing that myself. He's essentially levying the same tolls and enacting the same controls, as if the Stepstones, ruled by Daemon and the Narrow Sea, are now their kingdom that they get to charge you pa- that they get to charge you tolls for, and also stamp your passport whenever you pass through it. It's an issue. Yeah, that little bending down and giving the the king of the Narrow Sea crown really didn't change. The tra- like the trade in that area, like it didn't, it didn't do. It was symbolic, but it didn't really do anything because the Valerians are still going to treat it like they own it, charge money as if they can, uh, you know, as if they rule it. So it's a, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Lionel Strong says, "Look, this is clearly a rebuke for passing over Lena for Allison. Allison, I'll tell you this, Lionel Strong, not going to forget that they, <laughs> that he's not going to let the king forget." That he has fu- actually fucked the Valerians. Like he, like every time this comes up, Lionel Strong's like, "Look, I told you, I told you, G- Grandmaster, if I told you so." Otto seems deep in thought here. Viserys years have passed since the business with his daughter. Certainly, he cannot still be Roth. Yes, <laughs> yes, he can. He very much can. The sea snake can. Melos jumps in. The sea snake is an overproud man, to be sure, you guys. That pride has been injured. Perhaps we can salve the wound. Beesbury jumps in before he can explain what that means. Because I think by the sh- by the look on Rhaenyra and the quick shot over to her, Rhaenyra knows that what he's proposing likely will include her. But Beesbury doesn't allow it because he just jumps in and says, the sea snake is the least of our worries. It, I enjoy the line, though, because it does imply that Lionel Strong's proposal that he made to the king, he has been discussing with the other counselors as being... Marriage alliance might solve a lot of problems right now. I think there's a, like, a big groundswell for the Laner Valeria and uh, Renera match here. King, King agrees with it by the end. Yeah, I, I, I'm on board with her and Aegon. I know that's strange, but like I, th- I think that would probably like fix everything. But she's not going to marry Aegon. Laner Valeria is a good call. Sure. Otto says he doesn't mean to cause further distress, but his brother has written from Old Town. Lord Corliss is said to have engaged in negotiations with the Sea Lord of Bravos. He plans to wed his daughter, Lena, your favorite, to the Sea Lord's son. Indeed. Oh. What does the, what does this particularly mean or portend, and why are they so scared of it, Blay? Well, because if House Valerian enters into a compact with the Free Cities, then potentially he could take half, what we have established in earlier episodes is about half of the Royal Fleet and give it to the free cities. Now, the free cities and Westeros are not in open war, but they are not ruled by the same people. They are not the same government, and they represent a financial, military, th- cultural threat pretty much at all times. Yeah. And so to but, give half of your fleet over to them, just boom, let's go, is troubling. Yeah, and if he potentially, even if he doesn't give the fleet to them, the mere fact that he would consider allying with one of the most powerful of the free cities exponentially increases his potential power and influence in a way that's already getting out of control and they can see the writing on the wall of what the, the sea snake is obviously intending. Now, little little uh, Lena Valeria may have a bit of a comment to say about this, but they're not discussing that right now. Yeah. yeah she's the she's the unanticipated 
chaos agent. Cut to the servants all delivering lights for the evening. I thought that was a cool scene. That it, like it, it looked like at about four or five o'clock or something. All the servants got together. They all got a light, and they all went to a particular room. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a little, just a brief little insight into how, how the fuck this castle runs, right? And Lady yeah. Allison, look, she's still... Look. Go ahead. You know, I, pr- I appreciate that you enjoy those details that just show such careful crafting going into the writing and directing of this episode. Yeah, I really just appreciate your noticing those kind of just really unique boons that we're seeing here. Yeah, it's great. I mean, who doesn't want to see, like, the rooms get lighted up? And <laughs> You mentioned it. <laughs> Lady Allison... She is with her second child. This is Helena, her second mm-hmm. daughter. This is who she was pregnant with last episode. Helena, very fussy. I, I have a theory. I, I've been diagnosing pe- medical conditions in Westeros this entire colic. podcast. I think she's a little colicky. I think the king has diabetes. I think the, the, this child is colicky. Yeah, and this is the scene I talked about it where we get a beautiful shot of it is uh, Allison Ch- Ch- lo- looking through the barred windows of her particular room. The, 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 the queenly quarters, the highest point in King's Landing, but locked in place like a prisoner staring through the bars, holding a bawling baby in her arms, looking helpless and just utterly dissatisfied with the life that she's been sold. Helena, new baby, by the window. I will say this. I wish that the bars were on Tommen's window, and I guess a floor up in the Red Keep. Like <laughs> We should have put the bars on Tommen's window. Who took the bars out? There must have been bars at some point, and then apparently someone removed them. Yeah, that was a really bad look. Cut to Rhaenyra going to her bedchambers. Uh, she tells Sir Chris to call goodnight. I will say this. Now, if I am Sir Harold Resteling, if I am the king, I have allowed Rhaenyra, a young coming-of-age girl. at the. She's been anywhere between, what, 15 and 17, 18 in the series so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To select a Kingsguard member... She selected the guy who gave her the favor when at attorney once, right? She selected the same guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. might not put that guy outside of her door every single Wait, night. I yeah, might not but, put him there. What well, Lee, two things. One, the princess insisted, and, you know, it's good to be the princess. And two, well, he swore a vow of chastity. And you know as well as I do that vows of chastity are very well respected in Westeros and are always followed, particularly among Kingsguard. So there's nothing to be worried about. Yeah, so she goes into her chamber, starts looking around. Things seem off. She sees a bag. It's a bag she doesn't recognize. It's full of rags, weird-looking rags. She smells them. She seems to notice the smell. Did you catch that point? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they smell a bit... uh, I think they smell like dragon. I think they smell like dragon. Oh, that's actually possible. I, I think that's that. what they were doing there. Um, I thought, thought they were going. They smelled authentic. Yeah, I thought. I thought they smelled like dragon because it, he would have brought them on dragon back with him. I don't know. Anyway, she sees a note, a scroll, and it seems to be a map of her room, basically, and mm-hmm. with an X in the corner. Spencer, she's had a secret door there this entire time, and she didn't know about it. This is one of the fun things about uh, the Red Keep. Uh, Mago the Cruel had the Red Keep built. Mago the Cruel being the third Targaryen king. And, and the best, he, you say, right? Uh, he's one of the most memorable. Do you consider infamous one of the best? <laughs> he, sure. He's routinely recognized as the worst king. Probably... Bottom three. Pr- yeah, he's right there with Cersei as, as one of the worst, probably. <laughs> I think it's him and Aegon the Fourth that are competing. Aegon the Unworthy, probably. Uh, for and Cersei. very different reasons. And Cersei of Show Cannon is, is put into this. Um, now, he had the Red Keep built to his custom designs, and he had all kinds of secret passages and whatever else incorporated in there. And then he took all the engineers, he put them in a room, and he killed every single one of them. 
So the actual knowledge of a lot of these secret passages is entirely lost, and people are just finding this shit as time goes on, even, even to where these are. So I actually find it perfectly believable that there is a particular secret passage connecting to a room, and as we will discuss later during the book section, I suspect this secret passage may prove important later on in the show. Yeah, I think so too. It's interesting to me, though, that she did... Like, this would have made me feel pretty unsafe. That it's like, right next to you and yeah, unlocked? yeah. Uh, she opens the door, changes into the rags, goes downstairs. She's walking slowly, and the music is impeccable in the scene. Oh, yeah. Or this, whatever this score is, as she's descending the stairs to go out on her date, basically, like that. We need we need more of that. That if they do a a series where you know Raymond Waldy goes on tour and he you know does the big screen and show shots of the of the show, I need this piece to be played. This is one of my favorite ones. New new pieces that he's created for the show so far. Now is Raymond Waldy still writing all the music on this yes. show? He's, yes. God, that guy is good. Because I'm with you. This song is perfect in terms of the moment, in terms of the feeling. It's a delightful piece to exactly hit the tone of the scene. Then we see the route that she takes downstairs through the area where Balerion Skull is. They, they look. Let me tell you something, folks. I. Uh, Ryan Condal has a podcast about basically movie props, basically. Yeah. And he on that podcast said they created that skull. That is not see that it, they made that. That thing is real. So you're going to see it a lot because they got to get value for money. Now, I, I got to ask you a question. You do a lot of expense reports as part of your job or various bits of accounting and auditing and things like that. It's a key aspect of your profession. How would you feel and how would you justify the apparent candle costs that are going on in the Red Keep, given that there are candles just permanently going down the hallway of this, you know, secret passageway and permanently in front of uh, Balerion the the Dread Skull, Black Dread Skull? It seems like an unnecessary outlay. I'll tell you this. I don't think you can question that side of the ledger. I think you have to question the inlays. What's coming in? Like make make let's make sure our burn rate isn't too bad because no, I don't no, think no, we're no. going to convince the Targaryens not to spend money. So we're going to have to figure out how to get money in. And it, <laughs> by the way, it can't just be taxing the people to death. Just no, spoiler alert: yeah. that doesn't work out well. Okay, we, we got to start talking with the Targaryens about there's two sides to a balance sheet because I think they're too focused on revenue, not enough on damn fire and candle expenses every day. I tell you, I, I when I saw episode I think maybe two of this show, I thought I would be buying some candle futures. Uh, For those giant Westeros. chandeliers that we saw, absolutely, I'd be buying a lot of candle futures. I'd be like ten thousand candles at X price, you know, in the year one, let's say ninety two AC. That would be my future. That would the, this is a medieval trope that we see in a lot of films and video games and everything else that always just tickles me. Of where wherever they go, whether it makes sense or not, there is always a, sco- a sconce on the wall where a torch is burning. Just like that permanently just exists with magical forever fuel. But it's a delightful trip. Well, no, they explained it because we saw the people going around with the flights earlier. Apparently, yes. And they restocked them every five hours. Then she goes up some stairs. She's gone down some stairs. And she goes up some stairs and she sees Damon. And you can see the excitement in her face. She's excited to see him. And he doesn't say anything. And they take off holding hands. I don't know if you noticed that. They're holding hands. I did, yes. Then we get, from Renera's perspective, a stroll through the streets of King's Landing. At one point, a guy bumps into her, calls her boy. She likes that. She says, Damon, he called me Very boy. tickled. Very tickled. She's wide-eyed. She seems to be having a great time. We see a tightrope walker. Uh, a lady, I guess a fortune te- blind fortune teller, says, Do you want to know your death, child? Uh, this is no Maggie the Toad? Is that who it is from the main series? That is one of them, yeah. 
Yeah, who's or, 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 or the ghost of High Heart. We've got a lot of we have a lot of prophetic people in the main series. He tells it says that he gives the uh, the Valencar uh, prophecy to, Cer- to Cersei. Cersei. Um, yeah, I mean, we we get a lot of this. I, I doubt this lady is actually legit. No. I'm just going to point that out. I don't think she's legit. But uh, she says, do you want to know your death, child? And then we cut to a dragon breathing fire. And then we get a cut away to King Viserys in a bath. He had a lot of servants with him. And they're attending to his many sores. Here's the thing, Spencer. They have boiled leather in this society. Wear leather on the damn thing. <laughs> Wear leather. Don't let uh, it cut you. Viserys apparently isn't big on pattern recognition, and that guy apparently is getting stabbed right and left every other week. He do they need awful. this many? Do they need this many servants to watch him bathe? I feel like they've got enough people there that each one could bathe not only every limb but every digit. See, you're right. That you and your favorite character, Alison Hightower, are right there together because she did, she thinks it's too much too, so she dismisses them. What, she the, gets the down and go ahead. Allison is good at reading people and understanding their feelings. Like we saw earlier, she stepped in to try to, you know, aid everybody else in moving the conversation along. She saw the king was clearly very, very uncomfortable, and so she stepped in to resolve that. Yeah, she did. She sent him all the way. And uh, he says that she has a kinder touch when she's tending to his sores than the servants do. Again, king, wear leather on the throne. You're getting nicked up, and you have diabetes, and the wounds won't heal. You mean he's missing two fingers, and good God, his back. We're going to talk about his back here in a second. But this guy appears to not only be just suffering nonstop wounds, but be rotting. Cut to a play. This is very reminiscent of the play we saw. I think it was in season seven of Game of Thrones, or six, maybe? Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, where there... And this was in Essos, actually. But it was about, basically, the, the political intrigue of Westeros circa maybe 15 years or 10 years or whatever before that Mm -hmm. um this is also kind of in the same vein it's a it's a play about the political situation of westeros and it's specifically about the heir and the succession and decidedly shakespearean too with all the actors being men which is also appropriate given the themes that they're exploring this episode and they named the king renera they all boo the king they, they talk about the king naming renera they all boo then the king having a boy to which heir might chair the bear? To which heir might the chair bear? I like that mm-hmm. one. Who will it be? The brother, the daughter, or the little princeling of three. We see Damon watching her as she watches this. On stage, you talk about Rhaenyra, the realm's delight. A girl so young and so slight. Loved by all her people, but would she make a powerful queen? Or would she be feeble? Feeble! Feeble! The Aegon... The Bay of Prince might long for a claim. He has two things. Rhaenyra cannot. A conqueror's name? A cock. I, mean, I can't dispute that logic. Can you argue with that logic? I mean, those are two things she does not have. She she does dispute the logic. She starts yelling, boo, lies, slander. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, kudos to her. She's willing to be the only person saying that. This is me on Twitter, by the way. Like, yes. uh, I'm just always fighting against the, 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 the tide. Come on, people. Do we really need to just crush the queen 12 seconds after she died? Yeah, I guess we do. All right, shit. I'm getting, beat, getting beat by Twitter. Damon tells her, just if you want. But to many, the small folk are like to believe that a male, Aegon, should be here. Basically saying, like, look, the, the, you, they want to believe that it makes more sense for Aegon to be here. They are more they are more susceptible to that line of logic. You are the, the odd one here. Like, the, the naming you heir is the abnormal thing that they're going to have to wrap their head around. 
And let, let's focus on the next line here because your girl, Rhaenyra, you a loyal member of Team Black. For sure. Her response to this is, their wants are of no consequence. Yep, fuck them. This is a very consistent line from Rhaenyra, but I think we need to remember that this is a very consistent line from Rhaenyra. We see that several times with several people. Rhaenyra gives jack shit about how other people feel or want. And particularly people see, that's not really, below it, her of no consequence, it's not which re- is, you know, everyone. That's not really true. This is a defense mechanism. I mean, she's, she's saying this because she doesn't have an answer. We, she she knows, she no, she absolutely knows that Damon is right. And what he's saying is that she just saw it. She just saw all the people she, boo her and she basically cheer Aegon and his penis. Like she knows what he's saying is right, but she got no other. She's what, she's seventeen and she feels the need to it, respond, but she's got no other answer. If it was a one-off, I would agree. But this is a persistent thread we see with Rhaenyra of where it is the nature of her character. Call it a defense mechanism or not, but her default reaction to the people that she doesn't like, whatever else, is to just shrug, say fuck them to their face, and then ignore them. In this situation, I think she's. She, I don't think she really thinks it doesn't matter at all what all the people of King's Landing think. It could be consistent too, though. She has no frame of reference to kill it to care about them. She's been the privileged princess in the tower. She's never even been out in the city to interact with them. From her perspective, they're just people that provide money and resources rather than actual human beings. Maybe, but I, I don't think she's deluded enough to believe that it really doesn't matter that people wouldn't support her claim. She, I mean, when she was in the woods with Sir Kristen Cole, one of the first, that when she dropped her, her, her guard, she asked him, would people accept me as queen? So she, she understands that she needs the will of the people. She needs she, people to accept her as queen if it's going to work out. So she's aware that she needs the people. She just wants to tell Damon to fuck off right now because the very next thing she says is like, hey man, can we just not talk about this right now? Last thing I'll say, she logically understands it. I don't know if she actually subconsciously gets it, though, or understands the steps necessary to bring it about. But probably something, not. something we will continually probably keep not. debating. No, no, she probably doesn't know how to get the people on her side. No, she needs PR, full show. <laughs> she needs um, to learn diplomacy, yeah. Yeah, D- Damon follows up, says they're of, basically, they're of great consequence if you expect to rule one day. She's like, can we just not fucking oh, talk I'm here to party. Shit? She stops, she starts to eat something, Damon fucking with her says, gotta be four coppers, street rat. She throws the food, takes off, Damon tells the, I love Damon, he tells the guy, I'll get a, him. he's such a carny, yeah, he's like, look, don't you, don't bother yourself, I'll go get this guy for you, so they just take off. Does, you think Rhaenyra actually realized that she had to pay? I no. don't know if she did. No, it didn't I don't know if it ever occurred to it her. It did not, and I think that Damon thought that was hilarious that she didn't know, yeah. and that's why he made that joke. Uh, she runs. It does seem like smiling ear to ear the entire time. I'm a thief. I'm a thief. This is fun. She is. She's having a blast. And I'll tell you this: she doesn't seem like someone who gets a lot of cardio in. Doesn't look like a natural no. runner. She's she's all arms and legs. She's flailing. She's all over the place. But she does run into the guy that if I had, like so if I had my choice, I'd have her. I'd have her with Aegon. But if my heart had my choice. I'd have her with Sir Harwin Strong. She runs into Sir Harwin. Break bones! He's like, boy, where are you? And she gets a little scared, so she breaks character. She goes, Harwin? And he's like, princess. He sees Damon. He grunts. I think he's about to go handle Damon's shit. And she goes, don't. He then looks down and says, okay, you take care, boy. Next time you might not be so lucky. That's how I interpreted that scene. How did you interpret it? Pretty much that. I like that they, again, a touch to authenticity. He's even in gold cloak uniform, which he was. It's a nice little touch, but I very much agree with your points. And it's going to be interesting going forward of where among the list of people that know Rhaenyra did this, let's add Harwin Strong to it. 
But here's the thing about Harwin Strong. He doesn't really know they went into a pleasure house. All he knows is they were on the street. He streets. knows the start. He just knows they were on the street. Exactly. Jamie catches up to her and said, enjoyed that, did you? She said, potential line of the episode. Who knows what I'll next taste freedom. Mm-hmm. Cut to Allison laying down in her bed. She has someone knocking at her door as a servant saying the king has requested her presence. That's basically like the Westerosi version of the text, like the you up text. You, you up. This you is up. very much the you up. You up. Like what What it is. Like, <laughs> you still around? Trying to, trying to talk? It, she says, well, the hour the is quite late. And the servant goes, yeah, it is. But that does not change the fact that the king asked you to come in here. So you're going to have to come. Again, framing of this episode is brilliant. I love that they're focusing on this, the, the respective different experiences this evening between Alicent and Rhaenyra in terms of how both society judges them and how they both experience it. Cut to Damon and Rhaenyra in a pleasure house. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, they're in a pleasure house. Now, if you don't know what a pleasure house is, I think in this world, it's it's meant to be more than a whorehouse. It's basically kind of what... Take this is like, performance art. Yeah, whorehouse. take like... Take, like, all of the sexual stuff that is legal and, like, pushed at the Red Light District in Amsterdam and put it all in one room, and that's basically what a pleasure house is. Because, yes, there is an aspect to it of it's a bar, right? You can get alcohol. Mm -hmm. There's also uh, an aspect of, I think there is the skin trade. I think you can purchase there's also sex, an artistic but I also think you can watch a show I think you can watch a show on. exactly I think yeah. you just watch it so it's, it's kind of a lot of different things all in one uh, she gets a cup of wine she keeps watching I think we're meant to believe that she's drank more than we really see on camera did, did you note by the way that when they walked into this place Damon very pointedly took her hat off not yet he does oh. he does though he does okay we're he there. does. He very, very, yeah, very clearly does. He's not quite there yet, but he absolutely does take her hat off. Uh, we see Rhaenyra watching it, Damon watching her. Now Damon has his hood down. So Damon takes his hood down first. Mm-hmm. And then cuts it, Damon and Rhaenyra, and that's when he takes her hat off, and they kind of are going in the back room. They are like, <laughs> in the back back. Let's, you pay extra to get in this place. Yeah, yeah, that's the back back. That's the... Champagne um, room. Yeah, that's the... What's the line that, that, they, that you would always get? It's like... Uh, uh, Take me somewhere more private or something like that. That's very much that, yes. Yeah. Um, cuts to the king. He's going at it on top of Allison. She looks like she's just thinking about baseball. You ever uh, you ever heard that uh, thing like a, a man trying to like last long? In bed? I mean, sorry, this is this is an adult podcast. But it's got to be. Go uh, on, man. A man trying to last long in bed. You start the old the old adage. You think about baseball. Think about baseball statistics or whatever. Yeah. I think Allison's thinking about baseball. Well, here's a fun little thing. Uh, Victorian women were given a guide of what things to expect on your first married night. One of the tips was lean back, relax, and think of the empire. This is what Allison is doing right now. Wow, and the king, um, I, I like Viserys, I do, but he, he, he looks pretty gross. He's got a lot of these infections on his back, and I don't think he's doing it for her right now. I really don't. It, it's not a pretty sight. It is, again, excellent framing of just comparing what the two of them are going through right now. Cuts to Damon and Rhaenyra. He took her hat off. Um, they go in, and she sees even more intimate scenes. This is pretty graphic here. Uh, we see Rhaenyra smile as she watches. Uh, she asks him what the place is. He says it's where people come to take what they want. Here's what I'll say about the scenes of the pleasure house. I do think the implication here is that Rhaenyra's drank more than we see. We really only see her take one sip of wine or whatever, but I think we're meant to, to believe that she's good and tipsy. Um, yeah. Also, the 
it's a they did a, they had a female director for this episode, which I think was really smart, and I think it actually shows through because there is nudity, but it's not gratuitous, right? They, they, it's very artistically done. Yeah, they take real real pains to hide penis and vagina, right? Like they do a mm-hmm. lot of hiding of it with shadow yeah. and stuff. Whereas I, I I'm fairly certain the old series would have just had it all just hanging out. I'm, I'm about hundred percent sure. Things would have been flopping in the old series, whereas this, they work through a lot of implication, and it adds a certain dream element to it of where she's drunk, she's tipsy, this is an entirely new experience for her, and she's getting sensory overload, and the filmmaking of that, of kind of flowing through things that depicting anything clearly, really added to that, to that kind of feel. Cut to uh, a shot of just Renera, and she looks a little embarrassed, but also super interested. At no point does she seem like she wants to leave, that she's not into this, anything. She seems a very willing participant. Then we see Damien putting his head on her, and like kind of head to head. We do a rotating camera around them with little cut-ins as they seemingly get closer and closer and more intimate as he's giving her this little speech about, we can do whatever we want, we're Targaryens. Yeah, he's, he's and he, but he does draw a distinction. He says, fucking is a pleasure, you see, for a woman as it is a man. So I think he's trying to tell her, like, it doesn't have to be, like, yes, you you have to get married and you have to do that thing, but whatever sex you have in marriage does not have to be the only sex you ever have in your life, I think is what he's trying to tell her and teach her here. He's also getting her to try to embrace a certain element of hedonism and pleasure in the moment, which to Rhaenyra has been a certain element of a foreign concept, or at least she's not explored the various annals of that. Whereas for Damon, it is his watchword that these are the things that he loves and enjoys, and he would love to make her part of them too. But it's not, though, because we saw that when Rhaenyra wants to enjoy, in her little world, the little world that she's allowed, what does she do? She goes right to Kick. the cakes. Yeah, so Kick. she Kick. there is a there is a, a a relationship there with with the behavior we see now. But it's it's cake, and it's the exact same book and the exact same music. She's one of those people that goes into a nice little quiet place and just re- does the exact same things every time. Then we see Damon and Renee are kissing. That's right, they start kissing. Since they're high, I mean, you knew this was coming from the books, but like just generally, I mean, do you find yourself able to root for a relationship? of uncle and niece i mean are you able to put it all aside in this fictional world and root for it or are you is there a limit there for you i'm here's the two aspects of it i'm perfectly able to put it aside because they've established it's part of the world and if anything from the targaryen perspective her dad's the weird one um so i got no issue there i do have an issue with these two particular characters hooking up at this time uh just because i kind of agree with their dad of where they do play to the worst impulses of each other Really? Do they? I th- I think it's a reasonable enough read to say they do. We may see later other aspects that we can talk about then. But right now, in this moment, I think it's a perfectly reasonable interpretation of the two of them together, particularly given the aspects of manipulation that are going into it as well. Well, that's why I pointed out that she... I mean, yeah, there. I guess there's some... He's certainly putting her in that situation, but she certainly seems to be enjoying herself, and at no point do we ever get a, she, an idea that, like, she regrets... The sexual part of it. Now, does she regret that people learned about it, etc.? Sure, but I don't. I, I think she's all in here. I think she's all in, but I think that's a testament to her immaturity. There's a lot of things here that she should have been more conscious of and more worried about, about the perceptions, the implications, the potential threats to her later. But Rhaenyra is not in a state of mind or general maturity level to care about those or even pondered them before they happen. Yeah, I was thinking more about like, is this like, is he like sexually taking advantage of her? I think the answer. I, I think the answer there is no. 
Well, it, it, we can debate how drunk she is, but I think what we're meant to get out of the scene is that she is a willing, happy, excited, and interested member of this particular, as Hado Hightower is about to say later, coupling that may occur. Yeah. So um, he says to her, marriage is a duty, yes, but that doesn't stop us from doing what we want, from fucking who we want. We see Damon starting to take her clothes off. He uh, opens her blouse, takes her pants down, and he turns her around, looks at her. She keeps trying to kiss him. He keeps pulling away, uh, which was weird. And then finally he slaps the wall next to her and just takes off. Uh, then we get a shot, which I think is going to be iconic, of Rhaenyra with her pants down trying to cover herself next to nude people wondering where Damon is. I've already seen that shot all around the internet. And not like in a lewd sort of like, oh, look at the actress. I think it was more of like a wow, look at how how well they portrayed the depravity and someone being in a pretty pretty un- uncomfortable situation. Not very much so. And we got to unpack what was going through Damon's head here and why he did what he did. Um, I'm curious as to your thoughts. Cause we discussed on the prior acknowledgement aspect of this podcast that it seemed like he was pulling away from a certain element of regret. It seemed like he was, and this is at least the second time we've seen him on the show, unable to perform because he was in his head on the subject of Rhaenyra. But... I'm curious as to your thoughts as to if it is regret, what exactly is he regretting in this particular moment? And why why does he decide not to continue despite the fact that she's so receptive? Well, I'm going to give an answer that people aren't going to like. When has that ever stopped you? Go on. I'm sorry to say this, folks. But Damon loves Rhaenyra. Oh. oh. And that makes it very... That makes... But he act. He does it any of the other women you have seen him with or talking about or anything in this show, he has not loved. But he loves Rhaenyra. And that makes it very different. That makes the what he wants sexually from her, the, the experience different. It makes him have to, and I know that that sounds like really crazy because you should, obviously you should do this, but he is, even if he doesn't want to, he's having to think about her because he loves her. Right, like with Masaria, he can just take her wants, needs, whatever, right out of his mind, and he can just take what he quote take what he wants, which is exactly what he says you do in a pleasure house, right? Mm-hmm. With Rhaenyra, he's unable to do that because he loves her, and so he can't get it out of his head that she's in a she's in a situation she probably shouldn't be in, that this is her first time, it's probably not a great place for her first time. She's been drinking. All this stuff is probably running through his head. I think that's why he ultimately couldn't perform and wanted to get out of there is because. Uh, when you love someone, the the tenor of that is different. It situationally needs to be different, and you are always thinking about what they are thinking, what they want, what's best for them. I, I agree. That's definitely. I think that's definitely an aspect of why he did what he did. And I think it's all. I think to mix in with that, I think it's a certain element too of because he loves her, and because that's such a foreign concept to him. I think he's placed her in a certain lofty pedestal compared to everybody else, and so it has to be meaningful. It needs to be meaningful, because to him it will be, and needs to be, because it's something he's built up into an aspect of himself expressed upon her. And so this back-alley, tawdry kind of place, half-drunk, confused, talked her into getting here, it doesn't fit with the romantic image that he kind of needs for himself. Now, he did take off his hood, and he did take off his hat. To what degree was he coming in her to set her up? I choose to believe he was not setting her up because um, he see like so the the line back, so if he was setting her up, he would have had to have been doing it blind, like in essence, like going in there, going, all right, I just I just hope someone figures uh, yeah. out it's us 
the, Unless I, he's working with Masari. I don't think the scene that we got with Masari made it clear to me that they were not working together. Uh, they were seemed they, like he was surprised. He was absolutely. He didn't even know what what job she had anymore. He was he, like they hadn't talked in a long time. Clearly, like he he thought he still thought she was a prostitute. So I don't think he's working with her. And that was the line that got to Otto. So if he was trying to set her up, he was doing it blind and really sort of half-assed. I don't. I honestly don't think he was. I think he took the hats off because it was all part of the hedonism. It was all part of the, we take what we want. We, we can be we o- open we can here. do whatever we want. Yeah, exactly. That's why I did it, I think. You? I'm, I'm, I'm not certain about that aspect of it because he certainly immediately goes with it later and tries to work it to his advantage when the rumors come out, almost to the degree that he scripted or planned it. Um, but as with Damon, it's just hard to ever get a read on the guy because he does things that seem to undermine his own goals. So you never can be quite certain. Did he plan this? If so, why did he do this? Hard to ever be sure. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so anyway, he leaves, cut to Allison, and she's laying in bed. She looks up. She sees a rat uh, next to her in the king uh, is, is asleep. And we all see his sores. And what's hilarious to me is uh, she's... This is really, I mean, she's supposed to be like in the best possible position of a woman in the society. She's the queen, etc. And <laughs> she's like, she's next to this guy with sores all over him and a rat's looking down on top of her. It's like hilarious that like, you know, as she has pointed out so many times to Rhaenyra, women, women all over the realm would love to be in our position. It doesn't look very enviable. It, it, it is very much going into these are the life goals. These are what singers tell little girls of the, everything they should aspire to. Man, doesn't it look grand? Now they're framing in this moment that Rhaenyra looks like a great comparison view, but by the end of the episode, we're going to see oh, society doesn't allow that one to be an option. Society's going to dunk on that one hard if you're pondering that life choice too. So it's really a damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you do what society wants, this is your life. If you do what society doesn't want. They have a way of stopping that, just nipping it right in the bud, too. Yeah. Um, cut to Rhaenyra walking into her bedchamber. Now, the actress clearly got notes that she was supposed to be a little tipsy, right? That seems to be factor again to her walk into the bedroom chamber right now. Uh, she passed to Sir Kristen Cole, who is extremely confused. Some of the best comedy of the episode right here is just his utterly flabbergasted double take he does is... The lady that he has sworn to guard comes in through what his perspective is the only door in or out. Princess, are you are you hurt? I should alert the Lord Commander. And she's like, nope, do not do that. And she takes his helmet. He tries to get his helmet back and she keeps walking around, pulling it just out of his reach, very playfully. He's annoyed at first and then he starts to get the charm. He goes to the door. So finally he's just like, fuck it, I'll just stand out there without my helmet. He goes to the door. She gets there first. Uh, reaches out the helmet. He goes to grab it. She kisses it. Uh, he takes clothes off. Uh, she tries. Uh, he he goes to take. Uh, she goes to take her clothes off. He tries to stop her. Uh, she grabs his hand, leads him toward the bed. I very much like this scene. This is another artistic scene in terms of film, filming sex. It, it work with me here for a second. I'm talking. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, again, as we talked about, if this was filmed, you know, back in mid-season Game of Thrones, this would have been all sorts of graphic as all goddamn hell. Yeah. Here, there's very little nudity. It's more... There's none, into, basically. Yeah, this is more built around the idea of two people, their first time, they don't know 
they're uncomfortable. It's weird. They're, it's kind of funny to them. It take they and they build that into how long it takes to undress him. And we see very different expressions on his face. We see very much much more playfulness and carefree on her face. And all that is played out perfectly. And I think it is very expertly and skillfully done for each for, for expressing each of the emotions of the characters and the necessary build-up and awkwardness that will be attached to this moment between them. Again, this is one of the things we've talked about for the entire episode. It is artistically done. It is expertly done. It is perfectly set up. And from a lot of people's, I'll say even perfectly justified perspective, not much happens. It's very long. And I don't understand if we're, we're going to do a deep dive into like, okay, this is how this really works. This is the, the awkwardness. This is the uncomfortability of whatever moment it is. Why are we doing it around sex? Like, why aren't we doing it around, um, you know, some of the situations at the Stepstones or, you know, some of the, the different dynamics the King has with Renera? I feel like some of the conversations with Renera are very clipped, very fast, and they're forcing these emotions into these actors and they're not letting those scenes breathe at all. It's just like he just screams, you're supposed to get married, blah, 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 and then like, we're done. But, like, we got, we can get seven minutes of these two fucking clothes off. Are you kidding me? Because the key theme of this episode is female sexuality. That is the undercurrent in terms of everything that we see here and to what degree that is in their control, to what degrees it can express, and to what degrees they can make it their own. And whether that's even possible, that is the central tenet and theme of this episode, as seen throughout several different characters. And so they need to explore that here of what, for her, in this moment, we can talk about the implications of it later, this is an incredibly empowering moment of her herself deciding this is going to be what I want to do, this is what I'm going to do, and her being more so than the guy. We can question consent with respect to him. She is in control of this moment and taking it at her own pace. Well, you, well you've effectively checkmated in this world. Well, you've effectively checkmated here because if you say it's about female sexuality and, and they took time to show sex from the female perspective, if I say I don't like it, now I seem like an asshole guy and Twitter's going to kill me. So I guess i got to like it. I guess this is wonderful, and I, I'm so glad they took seven minutes to do this scene. Thank you. I'm glad we came around to the same point of view. Cut to Otto being called late, late at night. He does not like being called late at night. That man likes to sleep. Uh, he's told he has news from the white worm. So there you go. Like, what we talked about in the reaction pod is that, you know, Masaria's telling, in this next scene, Masaria's telling Damon exactly right. Like, she... She's got a new job, like to the point that she's got a, already has a line directly to the hand of the king. Yeah, I actually need to double check this because I don't remember. There is not a, a master of whispers on Viserys' council. Was there a position of master of whispers before before later on in the series, or is Missaria kind of like the first exploration of it? I think she. I might don't remember. Be. I don't think it was a formal thing. Um, I'll, I'll I'll look. Yeah. Hard to answer that question without spoiling some things. Cut to Damon waking up and Masaria's with him. Damon is in a massive fog. Spencer, question for you. Still drunk, right? He's not he's not hundred percent just hung over. He's still drunk. Damon's gonna be drunk for like the next four hours. That is the level of drunk this guy is exploring right now. And so what happened is that when he had that awkward moment with Renera, he went off and just got blasted. And Toward the end of his getting blasted, it seems like Masaria made sure he was somewhere safe in a room alone so that he could sleep. Somebody slit his throat or anything in the middle of the night. It's in essence what it seems like she did. There were Masters of Whispers both under Viserys and before Viserys. It's just we don't know as many of them, it seems, from this list. 
she says she he says she tries to give him something for the hangover and he says I don't need the help of a common whore she's like I'm not so common he goes alright well a not so common whore and she's like look I left that life a long time ago I learned that the skin trade could only take me so far smart lady this was Saria. she mm-hmm. says she was never one to stay he says well you never want to stay idle and she says potential line of the episode hard lessons are not welcomed but suffered this we talked before about the last scene we had with Masaria not being our favorite, and in fact being one of our least favorite scenes of the, that episode. This one lands better with me. Agreed. A, the dialogue feels a little bit more natural, and B, it hits into the again the themes of this episode of, of you know women finding positions that are allowed for them and trying to make them their own. Damon starts looking around, and she leaves. She says, "You can pay for the room on your way out." Damon smiles. Cut to Otto. He's standing clearly, clearly struggling with something. Question for you, Spencer. How would you have handled this if you were one Otto Hightower? I, I mean, it's an awkward thing of where, from a certain perspective, this is Otto having a nuclear weapon in terms of its potential use, but also its potential threat. And he clearly seems to know this is a really risky thing for him to use in any means, in any way. He seems inclined not to do it, and I think if his brother hadn't been browbeating him in the last couple episodes that we saw, I think he would have been inclined to go, this is too risky. This is a 20-year plan that I'm engaged in right now. This is trying to skip to go, and that can have so many problems. I think but, that, I think that's I think they focused on his brother browbeating him in anticipation for this scene as a as a yeah, sort of like I explanatory so. thing. Because why? Why? I mean, like he knows, like look the way he's acting. This he knows the king's gonna be pissed. Like Otto should, and in him my too. opinion, if I'm by, if I'm actually trying to help Otto, I would tell him, do not bring this no. up to the king at all. Now, I saw some people online saying that he should have leaked it to the press or leaked it to the people and let the rumors spread from there, but I think that would have been even more risky. That could have actually hurt the monarchy rather than just, you know, going after uh, Rhaenyra. Well, if it ever got back to him, too, the king would kill him. Yeah. This, I think Otto's natural inclination is to not touch this, but he feels like, you know, the particular tempo is outside of his control now. And it does. You know, Viserys immediately kills the messenger. Yeah. He walks in, stands there, the king says, what is it? He says, I apologize for the early hour, Your Grace. I have discomforting news. I thought best shared for the council meeting. Sirius thinks it's a sea snake, but Otto says, no, it's a princess. He says, she has she been harmed? And Otto says, no. It's no easy thing to tell a father of his daughter's exploits. I've considered saying nothing but... Sirius then cuts him off. He says, what, what, are you, what are you asking? It's almost comic. Otto keeps trying to get, get it about it just very, very carefully, euphemisms and everything else. But Sirius just wants straight-up details. Were they fucking? Give me the give, just cut to the chase, dude. Yeah, I think that if I'm Viserys here, like what he's what is left unsaid that he should have said is like, Otto, I can handle it. Like settle, like settle your nerves. I need to right. know exactly what you're talking about to be able to respond to this situation. Um, because it's not helpful for him to speak in euphemisms here. The king really needs to know exactly what he's saying. Yeah, this is a bit of a advice to people that are delivering bad news. Trying to dance around it can often make it worse and more drawn out. Be polite, but honestly, being direct can be a lot easier way to go about it. Yeah, because he says, well, she was spied at the beyond the walls of the Red Keep last night. And? Viserys says, what of it? He says, well, she, you know, she was at a pleasure house. He's like, okay, what? He gives, and? He gives a fuck. Otto says, well, she was spotted carrying on with her uncle. They were engaged to behaviors unbecoming of a maiden of a princess. Viserys, what? Viserys says, what behaviors? Otto says, well, must I say it, your grace? Viserys like, you enter my bedchamber, accusing my daughter of something. Now speak it plainly. 
Otto stands there. Damon and Rhaenyra were seen together in the bowels of a pleasure den coupling. Oh! Shock and, shock and all, shock and all, shock and all. As Otto Hightower, of all people, could have told us in advance, Viserys explodes, not at Rhaenyra, she's not there, at Otto. It's a lie. Otto says, I wish that were true. I says, who is the gossiper? I will have this rumor monger's eyes. He says, I will take their eyes. As if he's holding them in his hand when he says it. Otto says that his hand, he must maintain trusted source of information. This one does not let him astray. Otto then says, several of the servants have now admitted to seeing her, the princess. Creeping through the gates of King's Landing, disguised as a patient. This is where he makes a terrible mistake. Because what he should have done is said, look, I was brought this information. I'm giving it to you. That's all I got. But instead, he goes on to, to basically he reveal. He doubles down. Basically, in trying to justify that it's true, in trying to say, to prove it's true, he misses the point, And he tips his hand that he actually has servants in the in the Red Keep spying on her. And that is what makes Viserys go bananas. And he goes, are you so sick with ambition that you would have my daughter stalked, spied upon, awaiting your best chance to destroy her reputation? Whew. Yes. Yes. You, ca- you called it right. This is one of several moments we get to Viserys of where Viserys is not a, is not an idiot. We've been too, It's been too easy to write him off as just being a fool. He's hyper aware. He just doesn't want to do it and doesn't want to get involved in it. He has a great line here where he says you think yourself a cunning man your designs are so obvious do you wish to have your blood on the iron throne so badly that you are willing to destroy mine own just get out leave me at once perfect i love that potential line of the episode you think yourself a cunning man your designs are so obvious yeah i think i think to a certain degree i mean again this is not Otto hightower playing the game that he wants right here but i think even he was a little bit caught off guard that he's been kind of underselling Viserys' abilities and understanding for a while now and forgetting that there's actually an astute guy here in front of him. When he said the thing about the servants, he, he lost. I mean, he, he yes. could have salvaged it up until that point by just backing out and saying, look, I don't like it either. If you want me to tell you the name of the person, I will, but I mean, I'd, I'd like to keep that line of communication open. Up to you, King. I'm just bringing it to you. He might have been okay, but this thing about the servants watching her, that was a bridge way too far. Now, what he should have said was, uh, my king, I understand. I find this a reliable source, but to be certain, let's go talk to Damon and Rhaenyra, and then put it on them as part of like you know getting the information out of them. That way, you're focusing on them and not on you. Immediately transition the focus to the two of them, and you're better off. That might have worked with Viserys too. That might, yeah. it really might have worked. Uh, when Otto leaves, it's clear the king is angry. He turns and he sees Alicent because one thing I didn't mention in this recap is that Alicent was listening in. She looks really upset. Cuts to Rhaenyra. She's combing her hair. Knock at the door. In comes Sir Kristen. Call what? 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 Looking awkward as all goddamn hell. What? Particularly since Rhaenyra is just smile beaming. She's ready to go. She's ready yeah. for round two. She's like, come on in. Let's go. Let's do round two. Let's let's get this rolling again. He can't look her in the it's eye. A next, it's a next he's morning situation. Else. He's ready. She's ready to go in the next morning. And he he's he's just fumbling. He's struggling yeah. because he's terrified. Yes. Because he says, Princess, I have a message from the Queen, which is basically like, you need to get out here. I need, I need to talk to you quickly. Now, I can imagine from Sir Kristen Cole's perspective, while all of the next, I don't know, 10 minutes of screen time events are playing out, he thinks it's about him. Let's not put this mildly. Kristen Cole was engaged in an act that could get him killed. Oh, he 100%. Is a, there have been members of the King's Guard that have been executed for what he did. It has happened. And he knows that. I don't think... Th- does, does Rhaenyra get it? 
I don't think she fully does. I think she thinks she could stop it. I think she thinks and that she's if, an idiot. That if the king that if, that if the king found out that she could make it all okay. I'm not she might be able to save his life but she certainly she certainly couldn't save his job or his status if if this was found out. I mean, Harold Westenley would Harold Westenley would get rid of him so fast I mean it wouldn't even be a thing. Uh yeah, he's he's def, he is in a lot of danger here and he looks terrified in the, in yeah. the next few scenes. And it's also factoring in too. There's an issue of questionable consent going into what they did too because you know He's sworn to her. He's required to follow all of her orders. And he did not look comfortable for at least half of that scene. I wonder to what degree he thought he could refuse her. He probably didn't think he could. Uh, he probably still wanted to, but he, I don't yeah. think he, I don't think he could. Uh, but when she said, he says the princess have a message from the queen, her face drops because she realizes we're not, this isn't round two. I got, I got some problems here. She goes mm-hmm. outside to the same Godswood tree and, and she asks Renera what happened last night. Uh, Allison asked Rhaenyra what happened last night. She's very confrontational. She wants Allison to tell her immediately what she's done. She asks if she was with her uncle. Rhaenyra <laughs> does the thing that everyone who is lying and is trying to keep that lie up does, which is, says, I don't know what you And then the person goes, it reveals a little bit of what they know. Hey, but, but I know about X. They say, well, yeah, X happened, but nothing else. <laughs> and then they say, no, 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 but I know about X and Y. And then they go, oh, yeah, yeah, X and Y, but nothing else. But that was it. Like, she only will grant as far as she, Allison, tips her hand that she already knows. Yeah, she's undermining herself at every turn because she has inadequate information about what the other person's talking about and is continually fighting a battle that isn't the full scope of the war. Yep. Renera admits that she hadn't seen her uncle in years and he took her out for some fun. Renera questions the allegations. Says, what's the problem? I drank wine, left castle? What is it? Allison then says that you fucked Damon in a pleasure house. So she... She'll say she it. She cuts to it. She'll get right to it. Well, it, it, good. Is it fair to say Allison's kind of at an eleven for like majority of the first part of this conversation? She's pissed in a way I don't think we've ever seen Allison pissed before. I think it's coming from fear. I think she's really scared for Renera because I think she understands more than Renera does what will happen if all of this gets out and the and the nuclear situation happens, which is that this becomes common knowledge, like. She knows that this would explode and destroy her. Like, this would be a terrible, terrible thing for her. I think there's also a certain element of both anger and envy with respect to Rhaenyra's living a life that Alicent fundamentally can't. And I don't know if she'd want to, but I think she resents that Rhaenyra thinks that she can. Yeah, there's probably some of that, too, for sure. Uh, so, yeah. they should, two, Alicent, two of them go at it. Yeah, Alicent screws up her face, gets really angry. Um, then... Because after after Allison drops that bomb, they take a beat. It takes a little while, and then finally, Renera decides she's going to land on this strategy. This Your is a queen. This is a file accusation. Who is it? Who who said this? I'm a princess. For someone to even question my virtue is is treason. How could they ever? How could they do this? Who is it? Who is it? Finally, the queen has to admit she doesn't really know who it is. She's just second. She's heard it second hand. Heard it from, from her, her dad. Uh, which Renera then does the thing that all people who are guilty do, which is to start attacking the process, attack the question, attack the messenger, attack all the not not the thing. Punch, 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 punch. Yeah, punch. let's let's poke holes in all of the little stuff around it to try to misdirect, and that's what she's doing here. And it do- it doesn't land, but it gets a- Allison basically cut through the shit of you know going into your view. I only want to help you, Rhaenyra, which immediately leads to Rhaenyra completely changing her strategy. Yeah, when she says that, then 
Rhaenyra kind of gets a little bit less aggressive, and Rhaenyra, and then Allison's just like, "Did it happen? Did it happen? You're gonna have to tell me." And finally, Rhaenyra, the best, my girl, mm-hmm. the best, my queen, says, "I swear on the memory of my mother, this did not happen. He did not touch me." <sighs> Which is a lie. I mean, I, I, I saw the after episode. The actress doesn't say, oh, no, she's not technically lying. No, no. She is no, 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 Bill lying. Clinton. No, 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 Bill Clinton. This was sexual relations. Like, he did, tu- <laughs> he did touch you. Wait. You said, he didn't touch me. We didn't do anything. I swear on the uh, memory of my mother. It was a lie. It was an absolute lie. Now, this allows Rhaenyra to exit the conversation. However... One has to imagine that this is a landmine that she just placed in the ground that is waiting to explode later. Because as a result of hearing this, Allison goes to bat for Rhaenyra at every opportunity throughout the episode of where Rhaenyra swore to me. She wouldn't lie. She swore on her mother, just like when we were in the Sept of the Seven together with each other. Man, is this going to be a problem later, I feel. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, she's she's going to lose all... All credibility credence. forever. Yeah, all street cred with Allison, but that's fine. Fuck Allison, but like, it, <laughs> that's the Rhaenyra mindset. It absolutely, seems. yeah, that's what she's thinking. She doesn't give a fuck. But it's just hilarious to me that she's like, when backed in a corner, she will not just lie. She will lie at at at, at, at like breaking the the salt and bread level. Like I will I will swear on my mother's existent soul that I did not do that. She's just we- unbelievable. We've discussed before the difference between tactics and strategy. This episode seems to hammer home. Rhaenyra, skilled tactician. She knows how to win battles that are in front of her. I don't think she's pondering the strategic issues at all when she goes about her actions. Nope. Cut to Damon coming back to King's Landing, and the King's Guard escort him rather rather abruptly they into the Red him. Keep. He's laying on the ground. He's so drunk and hungover and just in a bad shape. Uh, I'm I'm just yelling at him like get the fuck up like there's no amount of alcohol that you drank you can't stand up like just stand up dude you haven't you 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 slept so you haven't drank in like what six hours seven hours get up uh, is this, is this a guy, is he playing up the scene to a certain degree yes absolutely I think I think he's he's like pretending to be more like hungover and drunk so that he doesn't have to deal with this so that he can try to appeal to Viserys like you know, better nature. Like he's, he's, he's playing, get up, stand up, Damon. It's bullshit, but Mm -hmm. it's my guy. So I'm, I'm with him. You're going to stand with him still regardless. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Um, Viserys walks in. He's, he's dressed all in black. And I'll tell you this, Viserys didn't get drunk last night. He looks good. Well rested, ready to go. He says, my daughter, won't you even deny it? Damon laying on the ground says this. I need to understand the charge before I can attempt to discredit it. That's a Spencer line. (laughs) Very much so, yes. Hundred percent of Spencer line. Viserys, you defiled her. He kicks Damon in the stomach. Still, you say nothing. Damon says, "What does it matter, brother? We were our age. We fucked our way through all the brothels on the brothels on the street of silk." Basically saying, "Look, this is ridiculous. Like, we did this stuff. Why are you getting so mad at her?" And Viserys says, "Well, we're young men. She's a girl." I mean, Viserys is very clear in this episode. I'm mad because of the double standard that exists, and it's just the reality for us. It's just the rules. Like, he just is willing to just put it out there and say, look, this is the way it is. Like, he doesn't hide it. He doesn't pretend there's not a double standard. He's just saying, look, this is the way it is, and I have to govern to it. Um, Damon says Rhaenyra is a woman grown. Better her first experience be with me than some whore. Question for you, Spencer. Do you think when he, he says better for her 
first experience with you with me even then with some ore he would have put Sir Kristen Cole into that that category like because he's so common born and he's some dwarf kid I think he would have put anyone other than a Targaryen in that category. I think, you know, as much as he wants to talk about the importance of the average person's views, he views everyone as lesser than them. Only a Targaryen merits a Targaryen in his view. Viserys gets on the ground, grabbing him by the shirt. He says, you have ruined her. What lord will wed her now in this condition? Damon says, you know what? Yeah, interesting you brought that up. Uh, me? Uh, I will. <laughs> I will absolutely I'm here for it right her. now. Uh, I will 100% marry her. This is absolutely... Uh, uh, something that happens in the books where the king is wondering aloud like wh- who will who will have Rhaenyra now and Damon says me uh, why don't you pick me uh, I will marry her I will take her Viserys cannot get over the fact that he's already been wed Viserys does not believe while Aegon the Conqueror I guess has a special place in his heart he doesn't really believe in the two marriages thing you can tell he doesn't he doesn't believe in that shit for the Targaryens he doesn't really believe in the incest it appears um, because he's like no you have a wife fuck that and he goes, yeah, but Aegon the Conqueror did. And he goes, you are no conqueror. You are a plague sent to destroy me. Damon says, give her to me to marry. And Viserys basically says, no, go back home. Get out of here. He gets exiled for the second time in four episodes. So the exile percentage, uh, he's batting a 50% exile percentage. It's, it's quite a total right now. By baseball terms, he is just knocking it out of the park. 50%. Uh, Viserys points out he doesn't want, um, hold on, where are we at? Yeah, he, he, he basically kicks her out. And then, um, when he kicks him, kicks him out, he walks out of the room and Damon says, as you wish, brother. So that's basically it. I mean, basically he's just telling him, you need to go back to the Vale. You need to go back to your wife. It's the second time he's told him to go back to his wife. It's the second time I imagine he will not go back to his wife. You know... Does he actually reasonably expect him to? I mean, I, he well, he does say with, he says just or get not. Out of my sight. Yeah, he says do do it or not. But either way, get the fuck on. Yeah, he, he's really just honestly done with this at this point. Do you think they'll ever reconcile? Uh mm, I'm biased because I know the books. <laughs> yeah, but you don't know how they're going to do this in the show. You really don't. I don't. No, I don't think they are. I think this. I think they're done. I think he has, as much as he has built up about his brother, about wanting to have his brother again. I think he is just finally done with this particular thing. I think he fucking is, with his daughter he, was he, a bridge too far. I think it's over. He, particularly since he's the one that was trying. You commented before he was trying to be buddy buddy again. He was trying to make things the way they were, and Damon was just giving him a cold face. And now, like the day you get back after not seeing you for four years, you pull this shit. We're out. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, we don't, I mean, we have a, a kind of an idea from the books, but we don't really know. I mean, they could they could easily, in the show, have them go either way. So I, I think our speculation is kind of like with all of you. Like we don't we don't really know. Um, I, I suspect that they're done. I suspect that this is a bridge too far for Viserys. He'll never reconcile with Damon, but we'll see. Cut to Allison. She pours a glass of wine. You know what, Spencer? It seems to me that Allison's drinking a little bit more than she used to. Uh, I think she's finding a certain means of coping, don't you? I think that she's going to arm the Faith of the Seven and blow up the set later. Um, I think that's where her, her fucking story is. Uh, she's she's becoming Cersei slowly. Uh, maybe not to that point, but we're seeing the initial signs of it, I think it's fair to say. She asked the king if he's spoken to her. He says, no, Alicent says, it's not Rhaenyra's nature to be deceitful. I cannot say the same for your brother. So, to your point, Spencer, he she does go to bat for Rhaenyra. After Rhaenyra does the I swear on my mother thing, she really believes her. He asks her 
do you think Damon lied? And she's like, well, yeah. And he's like, how the hell does it serve Damon to lie about that? It, it got him exiled from King's Landing. Like, how? why would this be good? And she says, by reducing you, which is a line I really don't understand. I mean, I think maybe what she's trying to say is, he's just trying to make you angry. He's trying to hurt you. But I don't think that Damon is like hateful to his brother. Now he could be, he could be careless for sure, but I don't think he's hateful. It, he isn't, though. Particularly, you know, I'm biased by a certain book Allison feeling there. Allison books hates Damon. She hates him. She doesn't want to be around him. This almost felt like a bit of channeling that of where, well, of course da- Damon hates you because Damon's ha- a hateable person. It. This feels like. In the moment in the show, it's almost like she's grasping at straws to try to explain why is not lying and just thinks of the first thing that pops into her head about why Damon would be. It feels like there's a lot of better ones here that, you know, could work. I mean, it serves, as Damon says, to a certain degree, it serves his interest. Sarah's even called him out on it, that if she has been sullied, he can use it as a means of trying to marry her so as to solidify his claim to the throne. Point to that. That's a valid enough reason for, for, for um, you know, Damon right now. I completely agree. Viserys says, look, whatever happens, she's not innocent. Alice says, only because he tried to corrupt her. And he says, look, Damon and Rhaenyra share the blood of the dragon. They are restless and chaotic. So basically saying, they're... Look, Viserys is cutting through the bullshit. He knows that they have to maintain appearances for Rhaenyra. But he also knows his daughter. And he's like, she likes to do shit like this. This is this is on her a little bit. Um, which I think is interesting. And then, um, she, Valicent says, she swore to me that she remains a maiden, and I believe mm-hmm. her. Now this, this scared me, because I thought they were gonna go the route of Melos checking. Because yeah. in, in yeah. medieval times, they would have, like, with the equivalent of a maester or whatever, actually check the woman physically to see if they were still a virgin. I thought when Melos came in her room, that's what he was going to do. And I was, and- like, really perturbed. I thought when the next scene we have is her being escorted by Kingsguard, that they were basically taking her to that purpose. Like, I was glad they didn't. That would have been that, that would that would have been a hell of a capstone for the episode. But it definitely felt like it was under threat. Yeah, I, I was glad that did not occur. But uh, yeah, it's something that they they kind of did in this type of world. Uh, unfortunately, um, cuts of Rhaenyra being walked by the Kingsguard, including Sir Kristen Cole. <laughs> to the king's chambers. Still there. He opens Still the door. He's dead. He opens the door for her to walk into the king's chambers. Do you see the look on his face? Like they they yeah. make a point of showing that his eyes are huge. <laughs> he, he is already fixed and dilated. This guy thinks he's walking to his death sentence. She comes in, and that damn dagger is in the fire, Spencer. The, the dagger is back. This dagger is going to be in every scene with every prophecy driving every plot point throughout the rest of the show. Just get ready for it. Spencer thinks it's a little much with the dagger. I think you think it's a little much with the dagger. I didn't say I didn't. I was just pointing out your 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 opinion. So okay. I, I was trying to prompt you. Like uh, so, you. I, I think again, again. This is the cat's paw dagger. This is one of the only Valerian weapons we've seen both in in both shows. It was the one that almost killed Bran. It was the one that everybody was debating where the hell it came from. The book actually gives a more plausible theory than the show ever does. Uh, it's the one that ultimately is used to kill the Night Kings. It shows back up and again to do it. Uh, defying every other aspect of this prophecy as being completely and utterly wrong. And now they seem like they want to make a hell of a lot of this dagger, possibly as a result of some of the things I just said. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that the show is trying to do anything to make up for the previous show. I don't. I don't believe that, but I do believe it's still a little much with the dagger. 
it's it's weird for the show just to go hard back to the books of where the other show is just utterly jost this entire theory. It's just utterly, you know, said, nah, that theory was wrong. It's actually Arya that did it. J- John, Danny, they were there, but no, nah, didn't really play a key role whatsoever in what, what played out. Well, no. John did stab Danny in the heart. Yeah, but not the Night King. Not anything with respect to that. Yeah, but maybe Danny was the real the real threat. Maybe she out was the, the real problem. Out of the North? That seems a key aspect of the prophecy that we got before. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, it doesn't say it in the, here, but it, I think you could, I don't know. It, 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 they played fast and loose with it, for sure. The series explained the dagger once belonged to Aegon the Conqueror, and it was Aenar's before that. Aenar is the dreamer, right? He's the one who left. Is that right? Hey, he, he wasn't acting... He wasn't the one that had the dream. No, no, no. That was, was his, his daughter or something, but he's the one who made the decision to leave. I believe so, yes. Cool. Before that, difficult to know. He wants to know, though. I'll tell you this. This guy can wants we to know give more the man, Can we give Viserys two hours in the Valerian Library? Can we please resurrect the Valerian Library for him? He wants so bad to know about what was going on in Valeria. It's unbelievable. I, I would not recommend that he go. We could, we've saw a couple generations beforehand what happens to Targaryens that try to take a trip back to Valeria. Does not work out well. Straight up body horror. Uh, but if he could actually just like a year before the fall, the year before the doom, just teleport in and just wander the library for a day. Kid in a fucking candy store. He would love it. Yep. Before, then he explains that before Aegon's death, the last of the Valerian pyromancers, so the, I guess the family bought, brought some of the Valerian pyromancers over with them uh, before the Doom, uh, so they were able to still work the steel and you know change the steel, because that's that's one of the things that we got in the main series, is that Valerian steel is extremely difficult to work, and the vast majority of blacksmiths, whatever, have no idea how to no use clue. it. No yeah. uh, Although, uh, you know... Um, they were able to find somebody to work Valerian steel and break down ice into two swords, which I found interesting. But but it was a hard find, and it's almost implied that like you know Tywin had to you know very carefully look for the guy that was capable of doing that and actually capable of doing it rather than just bragging about it. Yeah, and like go find him out in Essos or something or whatever. Yeah, uh, she reads this thing, this this thing that was on the dagger. From my blood come the prince that was promised, and he will be the song of ice and fire. Which is very, very much the, ho- the, the House of the Undying. That is very much what we hear Rhaegar say in the House of the Undying. So clearly, he rediscovers this at some point. Maybe through the dagger. Maybe through some other you know source in some shape or form. But this is very much the classic prince that was promised uh, prophecy. Which is what, in the, the scene that Danny is seeing in the House of the Undying, is what Rhaegar is saying to um, Elia... Mm-hmm. In, the, in, the scene, in, in the scene that they're having where he's trying to explain to her, I need a third child, basically. The dragon must have three heads. Yeah. She looks up at Viserys. Viserys says the responsibility he's handed her is larger than the throne. The kingship, it's larger than her. And her desires, he lands on that word hard. Mm-hmm. This is Jaehaerys would have disinherited you. And it's kind of like, yeah, well, Jaehaerys also was a real raging sexist. So, like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> You know, him and Alice had got along. She was, you know, the Eleanor Roosevelt of the period, as you've said before. Yeah, but I, yeah, but Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a sexist, right? I, 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 it, it, it all oh, so true. Um, yeah, and he, she says, "For a lie, you have failed to ask me the truth of what happened." Viserys bellows that the truth doesn't matter anymore. Only perceptions. You have exposed yourself. Now we both must bear the consequences. She Powerful points lie. out that if she was born a man, she could sleep with whoever she wants. And he says, "Yeah, you're right. 
you could, but you're born a woman, so... Uh, it's two two characters very much talking past each other where she's trying to say this should be okay and he's like yeah but it isn't and that's the world we live in how do you not get this I'm already uh, third base here uh, at the yes. conversation and you're still you're, you're still around in first um, she says um, Viserys then says she asks if he's going to strip her of her titles and may make on her stead he said I would but it is mine to hold the realm together, not sow it for the division. Here is a question for you, Spencer. Would it have been better for all involved if right here he'd have just said, you know what, fuck it, Aegon's the heir. Because it would have been clean if he'd have done it now. He did it now. With years to go until, you know, potentially anything happens or whatever. I mean, he's still alive, he's still kicking, whatever. Like, if he does it now, better if for everybody he- involved? If he was going to do it, now would be the time. Because she has no basis of support, she has no marriage alliances, she has no connections or justifications or anything else. Just, you know, sell her off to the Silent Sisters somewhere and be done with her. If he was going to do it, now would be the perfect time to have the least disruption and the easiest transition of power. don't think he should, but if this if it, it was an end goal for that to happen, this is the perfect time. I wasn't saying sell her to the Silent Sisters. I was just saying... I I read between the lines. I know what you were getting with your misogyny. I understand perfectly. I'm here for you, dude. Holy smokes. I feel attacked. Um, he says, your courtship is at an end. You will wed Sir Lainor Valerian. And you will do so without protest. And she doesn't. She doesn't. Only thing she, she does is she kind of says, well, pss, what, I'm going to be a remedy for your political headache. He says, you're my political headache. You are headache. my political headache. Great line. He points out that bring it, you know, he basically makes the sell. Says this, this makes a good idea. Then he says, the house of the dragon will stand as one for a further generation. So what he's saying, Spencer, is that if this marriage goes through, that the Targaryens in the next generation, the one immediately after him, are just going to be super strong. Like the strongest they've ever been. Tons of dragons. Everybody's great. Everybody loves Targaryens. No problems. That's what he's saying. So, I mean, it must be true, right? Yeah. I mean, I've got complete hopes that this prophecy is going to come into effect. You know, prophecies in the books and the show, haven't they always come true? House of the Dragon will stand as one for a further generation. If only they get married. That's it. That's all that has to happen. Rhaenyra says, and what will you do about the vulture who perches upon your throat? And this is when mm. I literally, I mm. literally got up and I started crouching down in my living room with a fist like almost like the beat was about to drop like yeah give it yeah, to me let's go let's go and then she points out hey look Otto wants Aegon to be the heir he'll stop at nothing to get it he'll spy on me this isn't gonna work if you're gonna keep me as heir you can't keep him as hand because he wants to undermine me and it's gonna be a conflict all the fucking time and she's right which and Viserys knows it Viserys already confronted Otto about this he just needs the push he says, I will do my, she says, I will do my duty and wed Sir Laner Valerian, but you must first do yours as king. Cut to Otto being called in the small council room. Yes! Yes! I you hoped for a high tower being yes. dunked on. But this is what's interesting, is that he doesn't just fire her, fire him by saying, hey look, you know, we can't trust you because of how you treat my daughter. Like, he goes into this whole thing about like his dad. Your history, your legacy, <laughs> how you got the job, who you took it from, the five days and everything else. He gives him a speech first. So my father was hale and hearthy, a hale and healthy warrior and dragon rider at the peak of his abilities. Jaharis named him, named a great royal hunt to celebrate him being named as Hand of the King. Five days later, he's dead. And guess what? You become the next king, uh, Hand of the King. Huh. Huh. Basically is what he's saying. Eh? 
It, again, I've, I've talked with a few people about this episode. A lot of people read this as if he was implying that Otto had something to do with his dad's death. That's I what I'm. That's he, what I'm implying. I, that's what I think he was implying too. I think he's ultimately going with the you know in fi- you know you came from nowhere after five days previous and suddenly became the most powerful man in the realm and then frames that with and then how long did it take you to start betraying me? I think that's what he ultimately is going with. But man, in this moment, it straight up looks like he's going to you know. I'll call on the police and have him arrested for murder. Balon the Brave, rider of Vagar, heir to the Iron Throne. Murder of murderer of thousands of people from Essos with dragon fire. Dead of a burst belly. The gods have a dark wit. Viserys basically says, "Look, this this really helps you." Uh, and that, isn't that uh, you know a little skeptical? And Otto's like, "No, no, it's not. Uh, I don't I don't view it that way." Um, then uh, we get this speech from Viserys, just five days. You went from being another man in Jaehaerys' court to being the second most powerful man in the realm. I wonder how long did it take you to choose yourself over your king? That's the line that made me think that he was he was undermining the Targaryen family to move up. I mean, it's, 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 he's raising the question, putting it out there, when did this start? Because it certainly is happening right now, but were you always feeling like this? This is always the goal, but from the very moment you took the job... Sirius says he will never recover from him his death, but Allison took the worst of his grief. She was a calculated distraction. I only now realize how well, well calculated it was. This man's seeing everything now. Your interests no longer align with those of the realm, but your judgment has been compromised. You were a faithful servant, Otto. The crown and the realm both owe you a great debt that could ever be repaid, but I no longer trust your judgment. Ow! And- and personally, personally removes the badge from his chest. Otto almost looks like he's on the verge of tears throughout this conversation. He does. He looks pretty upset about it. But hey, fuck you, Otto. You're not. You're not doing the job well anymore. Because from a certain perspective, he did tell the king the hard truth. He did provide honest information to the king that the king otherwise wouldn't have. That the king really probably should have known about. And now he's getting punished for it. It's just that everything else the king is saying is also true. I I keep going back to the servants. If he didn't tip his hand, yes. that he had people in the Red Keep actively spying on her, like that's the part that he can't come back from. Because it's like, yes. well, why in the world are you doing that? Like having people on the streets of King Landing who just feed you information makes perfect sense. And they might have run across Rhaenyra and her, her dalliances or whatever. But like this in here, if you've got our servants spying on her, that's a different level. And it's yeah. very clear that you are against her. Yeah, this didn't just trip a random security net that you had. This is a permanent spying apparatus you have on just my daughter. That is not okay. Cut to Malos walking to Rhaenyra's room with a bottle. Um, he says, I hope you can forgive the late hour princess. He says, this is a tea from the king. It will rid you of any unwanted consequences. Malos exit, and we end with Rhaenyra looking at the tea. Not before Malos does say that he... Took great care in the preparation because it could be very dicey, you know. Could, you know, the maesters never, never miss a chance to tell to you to brag, to brag, and talk about how hard they work. Exactly, that's yeah. exactly what he was doing. And he exits, is, and that's it. This is me. This is whenever you ask me about my, about my day, and I go into excessive detail about it to pretend that I'm actually working hard. It works well. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, this is moon tea. This is the Westerosi equivalent of the morning after pill, Plan B. It works. It also can be unpleasant for the woman's health in terms of its process of going about it. Do you question that people were pondering online? A, do you believe the Grand Meister that this came from the king? Yes. 
I agree too. Some people were trying to say that it was a last gesture from Otto Hightower. I don't, I don't think so. No. I think in some ways it actually could serve Otto Hightower's interests for her. I don't think right I don't think Melos would have delivered it only on orders from Otto Hightower. I think it had I, to be orders from the king. I agree. And then what message is the king conveying by sending this to her right now? I, I'm always so scared to give answers because I always feel like somebody on the internet is going to be like telling me I'm a bad liberal and I don't understand like you know, stuff like I just feel often very attacked. So sometimes I get very you, self-conscious about my answers. I'll tell it's you. It's just us talking. There's nobody yeah, else here. Well, if we weren't recording it, I'll tell you what I'd say. I thought the king was having her back a little bit. I thought the king was saying, I look, cut the, cut the shit. I know what you did mm-hmm. and we're going, we're, we're going to work through this. You're still my heir. We're working through this. We're working through appearances. So I've, I'm handling this particular part of it for you. I, I or think giving you that option. I mean, they're not forcing it down her throat, I guess. Or at least we no. didn't see that. So it seemed like it was an option. I don't know. I, I thought that. I'm sure there's a lot of people who felt like it was super insulting and controlling and all this stuff. I felt like there was a little bit of Viserys trying to cover everything up for her and kind of get this all under under wraps. I mean, this is one of the things of where if Rhaenyra is insulted by this, Rhaenyra is, not think, again, not thinking strategically or thinking about you know her own base of power and the implications. If she got pregnant from tonight, Can't that's an issue and a problem. Can't do it. That's a, that, that is undermining her authority and potential you know power that she can wield later, if that's the case. That just cannot be. They will talk about her bastard kid and her being a whore. And this, I mean, it, it, she, it, any hope she had of being a ruling king, it would just be... It's, it's, it's going to be tough anyway. So, so this would be almost it, impossible. So if this is harsh on her dad's part, it's a necessary harsh. This is a lesson that she needs to learn. That if you want to be, if you want to have that kind of free spirit, understand the necessary things you need to do to protect yourself going forward. So it is, it is in my mind, one of three things. It's either cold truths to his daughter, demonstrating that he doesn't trust her as far as he can throw her, and that this is saying I know. Or even a third option: he's just hedging his bets. He can't be certain. He, he, and just in case that she actually did, let's at least give her the option of fixing that going forward. It's probably a, a combination of one and two. Probably a combination of that. Or one and three. I mean, because he can't be 100% certain. I think he strongly suspects. And he's just covered his tracks. And, and, it's, and he's telling her, hey, look, I, I like how you put it. It's like, look, the reality of your position, which you want, you want to be heir. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, if you're going to do this, you, you know, there's some stuff you got to do on the back end to clean it up. So I, I don't know. I, I thought it was, I, I speculated on the reaction podcast that this was going to bring them a little bit closer, this act by him. She, she's going to flare with emotion right now, but ultimately it will bring him, her closer to her father. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right, but I still feel that. There's some delightful guides in history of basically guides to women having affairs in like the classical and medieval era of where they were asking, like there was a, a famous Roman aristocrat. Of, of she was constantly having affairs with all kinds of people around her. One of her friends asked her, you know, how are you not getting pregnant by all of these guys? You know, you're only see, uh, appearing to have children by your husband. How are you making that happen? He says, oh, well, I only have affairs when I'm already pregnant. But it was that kind of just institutional building in of where it's a necessary thing that I only have kids by the guy I'm married with. That's part of my duty. That's part of his base of power. It's part of my basis of power. So how do I also do that while doing dalliances? Let's take notes about ways we can make this work. And in Westeros, moon tea is one of those things. Again, though, can have health issues. Well, that's why Melos, I think, pointed out, 
I think it's to. Sh- I think see Lisa Aaron. I think we're always like going to be skeptical of everything in the show. We should be right, but I, I think what they're really trying to do there with that line from Melos about how he concocted it and pulled it together, or whatever, is to basically tell us like there's going to be no adverse health effects here. For, for her. <laughs> it's going to be fine. This is a grand meister dose. This is not, you know, whatever whatever they gave Lysa, Aaron, Lysa, Tully kind of dose. This one's going to be fine. After the little finger thing. Woo! Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on to best line of the episode. Spencer, you're going to supply me with some best line of the episode nominees. I am. Uh, let's see here. We, there's a few. Again, this we, t- we talked about it. I think you would agree. Whatever else you want to say about the, num- about the events that happened, it was a well-written episode. Um you can't do that. You can't on. do that. That's not fair. You can't say whatever else you want to say and then and then say the thing that I, I was good. Like, if I'm going to say it's a bad episode, you can't say, oh, well, whatever else you're going to say, it was still really good. Yeah. It's kind of bullshit, you know? Yeah. We'll discuss in a minute how that was the worst episode ever. But we can agree right now, top 10 material right here. Yeah. Good talk. <laughs> glad, we had, glad we had this talk. Yeah. Uh, uh, first entire co- first aspect of the conversation between Rhaenyra and Alicent that basically as I surmise the tour did not go well it really goes into the idea of you know Rhaenyra's complaining about she had all these potential air, potential suitors and how boring it was and how difficult it was with Alicent basically you know ha- hammering home you know it's rare for girls in the realm to get a choice between two suitors not less two score of them and I'm really trying to frame Rhaenyra dear I know you had a rough day but Let's really kind of relatively look at this about how bad was it really. Yeah, I agree. I like that. Uh, let's see here. Another one. Uh, another one from Allison. Again, that was a wonderful conversation between the two of them. Great scene between two actresses. Um, Whatever else you but, want to say, it's a wonderful scene. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm glad you're using my language now. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad you're home. I find I have few friends lately. I like to believe that mm. I'm still the Lady Allison, but all ever, all anyone sees when they look at me now is the queen. That that the actress sold that well, and it's a theme that's explored a lot in this episode. How much she feels like a cage bird at the top of an ivory tower, and that's a fun thing to explore. Uh, you want me to keep going, or do you have a few lines? You keep going. I got. I do have something to add here, but okay. I just get, do one more. Uh, da- Damon Dorinera, marriage is only a political arrangement. Once you're married, you can do as you like. For, for men, marriage it maybe it might be a political arrangement. For women, it's like a death sentence, and then cutting later. My mother was made to produce heirs until it killed her. I won't subject myself to the same fate. So, in the future, if you're going to do lines for when they're speaking Valerian, you have to do the Valerian, just so you know. That's what I need. I'm doing a correspondence course. I will be ready by the end of the season. So you talked about how well, I'm going to interject here, how well the actress who plays young Allison was doing in this scene, and this episode in particular, and you kind of praised her a lot in these few episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her name's Emily Carey. Here's a little factoid about Emily Carey. She was so into this role and she was so method that she kept a journal as Alicent Hightower. Oh, oh, I'd love to know that. Please release that as like a bonus material. So she was just writing what she thought Alicent's thoughts would be like in a daily journal. And she had like pages and pages of it. She eventually showed it like Ryan Condal and Martin and they got a kick out of it. But yeah, that's how method she was in this. Uh, one other thing, too, that I brought back, I thought I saw her bloody fingernails again this episode, where yeah. last episode we had hopes that they that they had faded, that she was getting comfortable with her role again. It's like, nope, this is... It. She had a she had a nice day, but this is the life she's leading. Um, Damon de Rhaenyra, you cannot live a life in fear or you will forsake the best... You will forsake the best parts of it. Good line. Um, let's see here. Again, <laughs> Damon de Rhaenyra, theme. 
Just if you will, but many of the small folk are like to believe that as a male, Aegon should be heir. Mm. Their wants are of no consequence. Damon. They're of great consequence if you expect to rule them one day. And then, Rhaenyra ending, For one night, I wish to be free of the burdens of my inheritance. Yeah, I mean, can't she get a knight? Please, come on. <laughs> she can, but as her dad reflects later, there are consequences. Ah, uh, let's see here. Da- oh, Viserys or Damon. Are you so... S- oh, no, this is actually uh, Viserys to uh, Otto. Otto, yep. Are you so sick with ambition that you would have my daughter stalked, spied upon, awaiting your best chance to destroy your reputation? I have no intent, your grace. You think yourself a cunning man, but your designs are obvious. Do you wish to have your blood on the Iron Throne so badly that you're willing to just destroy mine own? Great confrontation. Again, reveals a lot about Viserys we didn't think was in him, that he has this perspective as much as he'd prefer to remain idle. As you noted, and it's probably your most cheerworthy moment for Rhaenyra, despite the fact that it'll have consequences later, her bald face on her mother's grave swearing to Allison that she didn't touch Dan. Unbelievable. Just Unbelievable straight move. Straight in That's her a leader eye, right there. swearing on her mo- mother's ghost. That's a leader, Spencer. That's who I, you want to I, follow in the battle. This is a... It's our friend Lee here. He has been in politics before, and he recognizes the quality political maneuver. That is who you want right there. Uh, the prophecy. From my blood come the prince that was promised, and his will be the song of ice and fire. As much as I don't, as much as I've got some conflict about the prophecy here, it's still a great scene. It's still sold well, and I still have little tickles in my heart whenever the prince that was promised prophecy comes to the fore. Because it was one of the first fan theories and explorations I ever read about when I was reading A Song of Ice and Fire, and it still sticks with me as a result of it. You know what mine was? What was the great the Great Northern Conspiracy? When I I remember the afternoon, it was a Sunday afternoon. I started reading about the Great Northern Conspiracy. I remember exactly which where I was, which house I was living in. And I remember texting you and just being like, I'm all in. I'm all, I'm fucking all in on this, this shit now. Like I, I was a casual watcher of the show before I got, and then I just started, then it just, it started steamrolling. Everything started going. The Great Northern Conspiracy is probably my single favorite overarching theory. Um, and it's one of the things I found hardest to accept about the later seasons by how much the show was so unwilling to go in that direction in terms of depicting the North. It's frustrating. So it is, but so uh, a couple, oh, you got more. It's a great. It's a, it's a lot. A lot of ones. Keep I'll them cut, going. Cut Keep them going. Couple last ones. Uh, do, do, do. You've you've yet to ask me. This is uh, Renira talking to her dad. You've yet to ask me for the truth of what happened. The truth does not matter, Renira. Only perception. You've exposed yourself, and now we must both suffer the consequences. Well, were I born a man, I could bed whoever I wanted. I could bet father a dozen bastards. No one in your court would blink an eye. You are right, but you were born a woman. That's a great dialogue between the two of two characters. Speaking from the heart, but they're talking about the cold calculus of the world. Uh, last, and two last ones with respect to Otto, basically, but Rhaenyra to Viserys. I will do my duty as heir and wed Sir Lenor, but you must first do yours as king. And then from Viserys to Otto, you are faithful servant Otto, the crown and the realm, but owe you a debt that can never be repaid, but I can no longer trust your judgment. Yoink! Wonderful. You have, have yet again crushed the segment, supplying me with a lot of really great lines. A lot of dialogue this episode, so I knew there was going to be a lot of lines. Mm-hmm. I hope that my selection of this line will indicate to you that as much as I critique the episode, I do understand the episode, and I do still have an appreciation for it. Best line of the episode is, Renera to Damon, who knows when I'll next taste freedom. Mm-hmm. 
I, I left it out. I figured you would do it, but it is a powerful line that hits a lot of what's driving Rhaenyra in this episode and a lot of her motivations for acting a bit like a, you know, a carefree YOLO teen. She feels trapped. She has the opportunity to go out and enjoy the world in a way she may never have another opportunity of. And her uncle, seemingly it's almost implied, has always kind of given her a means to do that. And now that he's back in town, she is seizing it while it's there. Spencer, I got a question for you. Yes? Did we... Uh, how many... I'm just trying to think about when we were watching original Game of Thrones, how many times we had the same situation where we would argue about the quality of a particular episode. I know the big one in our relationship is Hard Home, where you thought immediately Hard Home was one of the best episodes you've ever seen. I thought it wasn't that good. I will I will admit that I've I was wrong on that one hand up. I lost that one. Hard Home is one of the better episodes I've ever done. You were right. I'm right about this one, but you were right about that one. So um, you hope. I guess my point is what other show can we have an episode where we both completely disagree about the quality of the episode, but we both still love the episode. See, that's yeah. the difference. Is like if we argue about a succession episode, as good as succession is, one of us might genuinely dislike the episode for real. Like, I don't dislike the episode. I dislike it for an episode of Game of Thrones. I dislike it for an episode of House of the Dragon, which means it's like an eight. <laughs> That's what it means. Yeah, it's like di- utterly disappointed, the worst episode of the season. 8.3. So we can have an episode that I intrinsically liked, but can still get on here and argue with you really well, I think. Really articulately, obviously. I, I'm, you, know, just, you, you were, I loved during the week, you were bragging that you convinced people to not like the episode. That was the level of, you know, commitment you had to this. But ultimately, we're still, we both still really like the episode, we're both still really locked in. I guess what I'm trying to say is, Spencer, is Game of Thrones back, that oh, it, can, well, it can throw out an episode that I can argue about, but still love. Yeah, it can throw out an episode that people can debate whether it necessarily checked their boxes while still in detail analyzing the quality of the filmmaking, the script, the lighting, the use of nudity as done by a female director versus a male director over prior seasons. This is all that this show gives us to talk about in just an hour of entertainment. We're going in easily into hour two, and we've still got more to discuss. Game, Game of, of Thrones, Thrones is back. It's back, baby. It's so back. It's so back. Oh. It's, you remember, later going on, like, season eight, we'd finish these episodes in, like, an hour ten. Just because how much did we have to talk about, really? Yeah, we started going, going through them really fast. Because, you well, A, you started shutting down a little bit. And there was, you know, it, it was clear that some of the things that we hoped they would do, they weren't going to do. Like, when they completely scrapped the Northern Conspir- Grand Northern Conspiracy, um, or John killing the Night King to fulfill this or a high prophecy. It was just a lot of stuff where we were just like, oh, I guess they're not doing that. And then there was nothing. Yeah. All right. Game of Thrones is back. I, that's the last segment for our unsullied Sweet Summer Children. If you are unsullied, you do not want to know where this story goes. You have not read the books. You do not intend to. And you want to stay that way. Now is your time to drop. Thank you very much for listening. We very much appreciate you choosing us. We know there is a lot of Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon content out there. And the fact you choose to listen with us every week, trust me, we really appreciate it. And we really enjoy this. So please give us any feedback you have. Whatever podcast platform that you're on, you can always go to Mangum Talks. We love feedback. We love to hear how we're doing. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. All right, Spencer, it's spoiler time. So, shall we discuss... Uh, did you see what I did during the recap? Did you see what I did? 
I did see what you did during the recap several times. <laughs> well, I said, oh, yeah. And then Rhaenyra, if you notice, um, when the lady says, how do you want to die? Then it cuts to dragon, dragon fire. Anyway, then we go to... So so, so anyway, you, you even literally said, so anyway, just keep on going. And then I said, uh, I think at one point I said, Queen Helena... Or not even say Queen. Oof, I better not say Ooh, that. Uh, bad. Helena, by the window. Anyway... Isn't that hilarious, the foreshadowing? That the first time we see Helena, she's right by a window, which, by yep. the way, has bars over it. And then I started talking about the Tommen thing and yeah, jumping the out bars. the window. I, yeah, it's re- wonder when they remove those bars. Like, oh, so God. That's, the, that's really... Yeah. So for the people who aren't following what we're saying, there's there's two pieces of foreshadowing that I really think they did. There's a, there's a third one, too. So I saw about two. Too. I'm interested to hear what your third is. The first one yeah. I saw is... Uh, when Renera, the lady says to Renera, how do you want to, how are you going to die? Do you want to know how you're going to die, child? And then it cuts to Dragonfire. Obviously, she dies by Dragonfire. She's eaten by Aegon's dragon. Two is when, the first time we see Helena, which is, uh, Allison's second child, she's by a window. Helena eventually heals herself by jumping out of a window while she's in prison. After the whole rat and cheese, uh, uh, no, no, blood and cheese episode that we will, it's I... actually, but it's actually like months after that, and like the the maester's like trying to figure out like what what caused her to do it then, and they don't really know. It'd be interesting to see if the show tells us. But either way, she jumped out of a window, uh, killed herself. It's funny that the first time we see that baby, it's by a window. That's the two I got. What's your third? Third one is more debatable. I think those two are very clear and very much meant to be. You know, references that only fans that have read the books would get. The other one would be the appearance of rats in the secret passage going to uh, the bedchamber where I suspect Helena and everybody else will be located in. Yeah, blood and cheese. Uh, And then pointedly, uh, when Allison's lying in bed, you know, alone in her bedchamber, everything else, and she looks up and there's a rat walking along the bars at the top of of, of the king's bed, felt again like a blood and cheese reference. Could be. Very well could be. So yeah, they were giving us a lot of that. So do you want to talk any book to show changes from the episode? Well, I think the big one we got to talk about is Damon, Rhaenyra, and Cole. We discussed this a little bit on the acknowledgement, but this is pointedly one of the stories in Fire and Blood that we get a lot of different versions of without anyone of them conclusively saying which one is true. The show gave us a version. Now, would you agree that the show version does not match neatly any of the existing theories? Yes. Because the existing theories, as I can best break them down, or this, uh, Sir, um, Meister Eustace and Mushroom are the, are the main, not, not Eustace, what's his name? I'm blanking on, on the Meister that writes the book. Uh, I, I'll tell you in a second, keep going. But, but Mushroom and a Meister are the main ones we get. We also get another Meister that's writing like, you know, the encyclopedia and whatever else that offers his own different version. But the main versions are either A, Damon and Rhaenyra hooked up, and that was it. No Cole involved whatsoever. And that led to a fight between the brothers that eventually got Damon exiled. And Rhaenyra was a very willing you know, participant, and she was in love with Damon, but the Damon took her virginity, and that led to the fight between the two and Damon getting exiled. That's the official Meister version. Kill Dane. What? Kill Archmaster Kill Dane. That name. Kill Dane. Um, that, so that, that, that's one version. Mushroom's version is much more, how would you describe it? Very page six, very much more scandalous kind of stuff. Much more scandalous for sure. But oftentimes more believable in some case, some cases. It's weird. Cause you get, you would, when you, when you give the, the description like that, I think it's, there's a tendency to want to throw out Mushroom's take. I think Mushroom's right a lot. 
Mushrooms are often writing through a lot, writing with a lot less politics, with a lot less baggage of expectation or trying to appeal to particular people that will be buying the book kind of thing. Yeah. Mushrooms just spouting shit. Um, when it comes to this, he his idea was that Rhaenyra's end goal was always Kristen Cole. Rhaenyra was actually in love with Kristen Cole and wanted to basically seduce him. And so to do so, Damon said, hey... Let me teach you some tips to make it happen. Which results in the two of them going off on Dragonback and having this torrid affair while all still maintaining her maidenhead and virginity. With him teaching her the process of how to please a man so as to aid her in bedding Kristen Cole. Which then, she then, at all of what? Is she 13, 14 at the time? Because good God, does George R. R. Martin like to age down characters? Yeah, it's obnoxiously young. Uh, she gets Kristen Cole to come into her bedroom, kind of similar to this episode, uh, and basically says, I want to give you my virginity. I'm in well, love she, with you. She drops her, her dress. She yes. unties and Strips drops her. So when she starts to do that in the show, I'm thinking, oh, God, they're going that route. But then, then they, 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 I think there was a, like a, a, a little brief play to that because it looks yes. like she's going to do that, and then he stops her, and then they go a different route. And... Then she does this, offers herself to him, and he, horrified, basically says, uh, no, thank you, and exit stage left. It's Which, tough. It's tough. It's tough. Now, again, then the theories go into later about whether later they may be hooked up or not, of where some people say that he came into, when she was getting married, he came into her bedchamber and tried to say, you know, we should run away together, and I'll be a sellsword, and I'll pay for you, and... We'll, we'll get married and it'll all work out and that she rebuffed him which pair that to what theory you want going forward because she or, said she has responsibilities for the realm yeah, the, she can't just leave no, she, it's, a tar, it's, not, it's not for a Targaryen to be married to a sellsword and that led to issues or that she tried to you know seduce him and he again rebuffed her again counts vary pretty much none of the accounts say the two of them actually hooked up though no, none of them really end on that point no none of them the say they actually had sex no it's all that, you know, should they, shouldn't they, they didn't actually hook up, and that tension of them not hooking up or not fulfilling each other's desires then led to their eventual estrangement and Cole going so hard green, he's practically a tree. Um, I feel like there's one in Fire... There is... They do suggest in Fire of Blood a particular theory where they do have sex. I think there might be one in Fire of Blood where they do. I, I think it's still later, though. I think it's still, like, you know, around, like, when she's getting married or whatever else rather than necessarily now, but worth double-checking. The show didn't give us any of those. The show did its own version. My question for you, as the show's own presentation of events, do you find it satisfying and do you find it as related enough to be in keeping with the theories the other historians have written down? Because you were critical of the episode, so I'm curious of your view. This is a, a favorite I, here's the thing. series of theories. The, this is going to sound weird. The episode is too slow for me. But... This storyline of Renera and the sexual relationship between her and Damon and then her and Kristen Cole is too rushed. Why did it have to be all in one episode? Like they could have, they could have had her and have that flirtation with Damon and then it stretch a couple episodes because that's a little bit more realistic. It seems all jam packed and condensed into one night unnecessarily to me. So I would say that it, it, that the show's version is not my favorite version of how this could have gone down. What, what, what version would you have preferred to have gotten? If, if you have to have one of the ones that's existing. I really, I mean, I was always partial to the one where Sir Kristen Cole told her no. Because that informs so much of her hatred of him. 
and her distrust of pretty much anybody who's not Targaryen sexually. Like, she just pretty much locks up and just says, no, I'm only fucking Targaryen people for a while. Basically her whole life. And it is like one of... Like, the story, the story of her psyche becomes the story of paranoia about betrayal. Yeah. And this is the first one where it really felt like somebody that she loved, that she cared for, that she was trying to be with quote betrayed her i mean all he, all he did is say no i mean he's about to say no but in her mind it was a betrayal and that was first of many so i think it really plays into events to come that's the one i would have liked to see which which is part of the reason i want to focus on this because the fact that the two of them hook up and it's something that she's completely in control of is really potentially has legs and ripples because as you said the fact that they don't hook up and that he's in some way taking it away from her or whatever else is possibly hugely important in terms of understanding Rhaenyra's psychology. There's a lot of other things that are at play. So the fact that they shifted and gave her complete control and agency and he didn't, feels like they're going to have to do another portrayal later to otherwise suit the one they didn't have or what she would feel that they had now. Now, next episode, I saw from the previews, we could be going into some things in that regard. I think and so. again, there's effectively two stages of the tension between the two of them, and one of them is centered around her wedding, and all marriage to Lainer Valerian. So there's still a lot of opportunity that they could play into this, but I feel like they have to hit it hard next episode based on the choices they made in this one. Because I, I thought it played out well, but like you, I have concerns about what, to, how fundamental of a change this is, whether it will work with other aspects of where they almost necessarily have to go with her character later, or whether they're going to have to change aspects of those or nuance how they get there. I just don't know how they're going to they're going to sever them now. You know, because that was such a a good moment between the two of them, and they have to get them so far up. I mean, they are worlds apart in this story. They get to a point where they dislike each other more than they dislike anybody else in the fucking world. I mean, except she dislikes Aegon a little bit more than him, but it's close. You know, I, I suspect a way they could go into it is for Kristen Cole. This was a huge deal. This is potentially violating his vows and everything he's aspired for in his life. And it seemed like he has a bit of a crush on her in various ways, and they can play that up even more. So if it goes into the next episode and he, you know, says, we should run away together, I've already set my vows, we're in love, we should make this happen, and she just rebuffs it as if it were a fling, that's a way that they could shift it of where explaining why he goes so hard against her, and he could do something else in the episode or even later that then just leads to, you know, the level of an enmity. They basically can put the level of portrayal on him instead of her and see how that plays out. I think that could work. That could work, for sure. But they're gonna, I mean, they need to spend some time because, I mean, he fucking crowns Aegon. Like, he becomes Aegon's he, hand. He hates her. Like, so he, it's, they gotta show why he really hates her. I mean, he, he crowns Aegon as king. He hurts people around her when he has the opportunity. Like, you know, he... he uh, I think it's like the favored, um, I think, well, it probably is like the, the boyfriend of her husband. He straight up kills him in a tournament, crushes his helmet, leads to him dying several days later in a way that everybody at the time thinks was dishonorable and inappropriate, whatever else. And at the time, the blood's gotten so bad, Allison loves it so much that she names Kristen Cole as her personal bodyguard. Cool. And that's where eventually we're going to get for this. And I agree. Next episode or two, has to make that believable to see where that transition, how far it's going to go in the other direction by the time we get to the Green Council. But I do think, I do think in this story, Damon loves Rhaenyra. 
in his way. And I, I think they've started that in a really good way because it, they certainly can't show like the normal like courtship, like I just like you, like you know, he's got to be Damon esque. He's got to be like a fucking weirdo. But I, I don't. I think even people who don't like Damon are going to have a hard time trying to say that he doesn't really genuinely care for her after seeing these first four episodes. They've heavily emphasized that aspect of his character, which is going to make it that if they ultimately on the show have him marry Lena Valerian, which he does in the books, he marries her, it's going to be a delightful degree of tension to see the two of them married to each other's, married to siblings, while they're they're still lusting after each other. Yeah, they're fucking, and she's great in Bastard Babies. Going to be interesting to see. Well, and that's going to be so much fun too, because like, obviously, her babies with Lena Valerian are going to come out pale white. Pale white. The introduction of race actually makes that more interesting because her babies are going to come out pale white, and everybody's going to go, "Uh, there you go." Like, because they're already they're already all these rumors that they're bastard children. Anyway, he's gay. She's fucking her uncle. Like the whole thing. But the race element adds another tangible thing where they could point to it. It seems like we're leaning towards them really writing break bones out of the story. Do you think they're going to go that route and just focus on Damon just to simplify the script? It's probably the way to do it, considering it how works. fast they're going. I hate it though because I love the I love that she just like basically basically like break bones is her safe school, and she eventually just rookies those. You know what? I can't do Harvard. It's too hard. And she just goes to her safe school and she's just there for a long time. She is, and it's, he's another example of somebody that Kristen Cole hurts, because Kristen Cole so thoroughly just breaks him that he starts having the, his nickname changed to Broken Bones afterwards and has that published, publicized around. Again, as a spurned lover would, I suppose. Yeah, but in the books, obviously, you know, the, the, the rumor is that her bastard children are uh, Break Bones or Harwin, Harwin Cause Strong. Because they think come the- out dark. Yeah, but I think in the I think in the show they're gonna have her fucking Damon, and then the babies are gonna come out Lily White. That's my guess. I, I think that works better, and I think it, it makes it simpler for people not to have to be introduced to another romance further down the line when we've only got five episodes left in season one. Because that's, that's what she, I that's what I, one of the things I really love about Book Red Hera is that like she's all over the place. She's like one minute she's like all over Kristen Cole, and she she's plays Coast, the field. Then she's with Damon, and like maybe maybe she's hooking up with Lainor Valerian. Maybe she's doing that. It, it's like hard to tell. Like Maybe mushroom. Who can say? Like, hell, well, no, mushroom is a no. Although she does get a good kick out of mushroom constantly hitting on her. She really does enjoy that. Very much so, yes. Did you see mushroom. the screenshot of mushroom from the next episode? No, I actually didn't. I no, think we're getting mushroom. talking about it. Although I think they're making him a little person, which I'm not excited about. But we need, cause he's it, short. I, it, no, but it, it's a true little person. Like, And I just don't like when they put little people in like the jester. Th- like, I, plays I, into I, bad themes. I don't, I don't like that. I wish they'd have just not done that but it looks like there's screenshots all over twitter of a little person playing a harp and he looks very mushroomy and they think it's mushroom and ryan condal said we're getting mushroom this season it will be curious to see how they portray this character because this is a character that is so inherently larger than life that i struggle to think how they're going to put him on the screen people like we care about mushroom because mushroom is with renera to the very end more so than anyone else. More than anybody. He is with her the whole effing time. So it's it, it'll be fascinating to see how they do that character. Because they could, they could just write him out, but I, they really shouldn't. Yeah, I hope it's not just a cameo. It's like, no, 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 no. This is one of the historians we got. He's got to be at least present for every other scene. 
All right. Well, I think we've covered it. Anything else you want to cover in the spoiler section of this episode? No, I think that's good for right now. I think it's the main ones to focus on for this episode and ponder where they will be going next with them. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening and hanging in there with our spoiler-only section. We will be back with you next Sunday night to review Episode 5 of House of the Dragon. Thanks for listening. Talk to you then.